This episode is sponsored by 511 Tactical, a company who I've used for well over a decade now and who are reaching out to you guys, the audience, to offer you 15% not only off one purchase, but an ongoing 15% that will only ever be trumped if something is even for sale for a higher discount than that 15%. I'm going to give you that discount code in just a moment, but I want to talk about another product and showcase that, and that is the AMP, which is the All Missions Pack. So what they've done with this, they've taken an extremely comfortable backpack, you know, hiking quality with some incredible webbing and straps to really even out that load, but they've added what they call the gear set. I think this is extremely pertinent for us because we are jack-of-all-trades, master of none, and we're not just a firefighter, a police officer. You're a father, you're an athlete, you're a hiker, you're a gun owner, whatever it is that you use. And so each of these sets can be added to the pack or taken off. So for me personally, I have the Shove It kit, which allows me to put in brush gear and actually slide my helmet in there if I deploy on a brush fire. Uh, there is a med pouch, which I think doubles very well for a wash bag. Again, I snap it on if I go to the station and then I can remove it for the next two days when I don't need it. So it allows you to have one backpack that's extremely versatile. There's also an element where if you do have weapons, you go into the range, you can have a short barrel rifle in there. There's a concealed carry pocket. So extremely versatile all around one specific backpack. So the discount code for this and anything else on their site is SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5. And as I said, that will get you a discount over and over again if you go to www.511tactical.com. Welcome to episode 340 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week I'm extremely excited to welcome on the show Bill Grundler. Now, Bill is a retired fire captain from Cal Fire. He is an elite CrossFit Games athlete and also a commentator and the owner of a gym. So there are many, many levels to this conversation. His perspective on tactical athlete fitness, on setting the bar high, on annual testing, on aging in the tactical space are invaluable. So I urge you to listen to this entire conversation. Before we get to that interview, like I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback and leave a rating. Each five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast to make us more visible for people looking for a project like this. And then this is a free library for you, the audience. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories and get them to every single person on planet Earth that needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you, Bill Grundler. Enjoy. Bill, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. Yeah, man, I'm stoked to be here. Stoked to be here. Where on planet Earth are we finding you today? Uh, so I hail from, oh, I'd say that's right, that sounds silly. Um, I'm living in San Luis Obispo, California. So if you are in California, I am directly in between San Francisco and LA, right on the coast. So um, I, I don't want to say it's a sleepy little town. That's not necessarily, I mean, it's not that anymore. Maybe it was when I, when I came out here to go to school, like whatever, 30 something years ago. But uh, it's a real beautiful coast area i think it actually had i think it was oprah winfrey or ellen or something like that said it was the happiest place on earth so we had that at least going for us for a little while so yeah brilliant 
going from the very beginning of the story then. So where were you born? And then what was your family dynamic like? What did your parents do and how many siblings? Oh, man, that's like way back. So I was born in Newport Beach, California. So that's down south. Um, long time ago, 1969, the cool year. Hmm. <laughs> um, my parents, uh, they're both from Pennsylvania. They moved out to California and had me and my brother, my, my next brother down, uh, James, he's a year and a half younger than I am, uh, down here in Newport beach. And then, uh, my parents are both teachers. And so they got a job in, my mom had a job in Phoenix. My dad got into Arizona state to get his master's. And so we moved out there, um, like 1974 or something like that. So I think I was like five. And then once we were out there, they had my next youngest brother, Matt. And so he was, uh, I think he's seven years younger than I am. So there's three of us, three boys. And we've been out in Arizona. We were out in Arizona, grew up out there. Uh, my dad was a high school teacher and a wrestling coach. My mom was a uh, preschool teacher and then a grade school teacher. And they did that until the days that they retired. And we all went to high school, you know, out in Arizona and all grew up doing sports. Uh, my dad was a, a heavy duty sport guy, you know, big dude. He was 6'2", 215 pounds, Adonis type of guy, um, track, football, wrestling, with wrestling being his his main sport. And that's what he coached. Um, my all actually all three of my brothers, we all wrestled. We all swam. Uh, my youngest brother played football also. Um, me and James were uh, both state champs when we were wrestling in high school. Uh, I went to college and wrestled uh, at Cal Poly. That's what brought me out to San Luis Obispo. Uh, Cal Poly Technic um, in San Luis Obispo and wrestled here. We were Division One, uh, but we were a Division Two school. So we were one of those schools that were wrestled with all the big kids, even though we didn't have all the big kid money and all the big kid toys and all that kind of stuff, but we wrestled ASU and Iowa's and Northern Iowa's and Oklahoma States and all those guys. So uh, a lot of the big names from, uh, actually a lot of the original UFC guys, like Chuck Liddell was one of the big guys that we you know, one of the original UFC superstars. And he wrestled with me, Cal Poly. I wrestled with him for four years. Uh, me and him are real tight. Uh, you know, we saw like, uh, Randy Couture, he wrestled for o Oklahoma state, so uh, we wrestled him against him way back in the day. So a lot of those kind of guys. So we, you know, did the wrestling thing a lot. And my brother was doing the same thing. He did the wrestling thing. And then, I mean, we're all, we were all kind of uh, jocks and artists all at the same time. So um, we all did, you know, we all did band and we all, you know, were drawing and painting and all that kind of stuff. So uh, Jim went from... Uh, wrestling into junior college after high school to not wanting to do school anymore and just went all music. So he became like a rock and roll guy for the next, man, 25 years, I guess, and had a big, you know, toured the world, toured with, you know, bands like Stone Temple Pilots and um, Pearl Jam and, you know, uh, Social Distortion and stuff like that. So he kind of did that thing before he kind of circled back around and across it. But for me... It was out, you know, went to went to school, wrestled, uh, got hurt the very end of my senior year going into the qualifier for nationals. I, I was trying to open up this window and I put my hand through a window and it cut the tendons on my finger and that kind of put me out. And then I got into coaching. So I started doing the coaching thing, which kind of I think was just in my blood. So it was nice and easy. Um, 
but, but I really liked it. And then still always did stuff. So I got into coaching and I was still kind of competing, doing some wrestling stuff, some freestyle stuff. Um, got into triathlons and I was doing a bunch of those. Uh, started lifeguarding out here. So I got a teaching job in Arizona because that was I had a lot of a lot of ends with um, with where my parents were. Uh, but I got into the lifeguard scene in California. So I would uh, do my teaching and coaching in Arizona during the school year. And then outside of that in the summertime, I'd come out and I would lifeguard, um, at the beach here in Pismo beach. And that's what kind of got me into the whole fire realm. Um, did that for a couple of years. And then it was like, Hey, so what's this whole fire thing all about? And then just went full bore into fire. And that was kind of off and running at that point. Brilliant. But I want to go all the way back to your birth for a second. Was uh, that, geez. was that Hoke <laughs> hospital back then? Uh, it was, no, it was, I think it was John F. Kennedy, I think is where, what it was down there. Yeah. I don't know. I honestly don't even know what the name of it is now, honestly. <laughs> well, my son was born in Newport Beach and it was Hogue Hospital. So it's funny. Oh, okay. It's funny. I was just wondering if it was the same hospital they redid or if it was yeah. a new one. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I'm telling you, man, that was like, that was like a half a century ago. So I don't know. It's probably, it could very well be another <laughs> hospital. Who knows? <laughs> All right. Well, then back to your dad then. So I'd love to see yeah. so many people that I've had on the show that have just been high performers. Wrestling is often a common denominator when they were younger. So with your dad being a wrestling coach, but it was pre, um, you know, pre the, the strength and conditioning that we're aware of now and probably deep in the, in the kind of bodybuilding um, uh, arena that was so popular back then. What was he, how did he train back then to become this, you know, Adonis figure that he was? Uh, well, I mean, you know, there was always the, you know, curls and the bench and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that was always there, but, you know, back in his time. So he was, when he was in college, it was in the early sixties. So they were still doing like the body build, the, the true bodybuilding, the, uh, you know, the Arnold Schwarzenegger stuff, the Lou Ferrigno, the pumping iron, that kind of thing. It was there, but those guys, like they were kind of in in this little weird little subsection. The the athletes were still doing calisthenic-y type stuff. So it's not that he was doing burpees necessarily, but weightlifting was added into, you know, working hard and, and pushing bodies around and, and that sort of a thing. So I don't think it was that far of a stretch, actually. I mean, honestly, the 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 curls and the bench and all that, that did come into it and you know you realize that if you did those things not only did you look good but you would get stronger um i you know it was a what benefited wrestlers i think is that they did more even though we may have lifted you know uni joint doing curls doing you know shoulder presses or lateral raises or whatever we were moving bodies around so much. We were picking people up off the ground so much. We were underneath bodies and having to stand up. So you're using your entire body as a system. And so I think that really changed the athleticism um, that wrestlers had over a lot of people that just went to the gym on a regular basis. So I, I think that that's what made him so big. Plus, you know, being football, I mean, you're just – explosive and when you're explosive you're going to be you're going to have larger muscles i mean if you look at a sprinter versus a distance runner the 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 musculature just based on that on what they do alone is going to you know tend to have more of a um hypertrophy in the in the muscle and make them look bigger and more and stronger so i, I think that 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 was 
what played to his looking like an Adonis. I mean, the, he was just athletic. And I, I think that having that more calisthenic type of background and very active, very sport-minded background lends itself to being athletic. And I think at an athletic body, I think that's one of the main differences, especially when talking about CrossFit stuff, is there's an athletic body versus a bodybuilding body. And uh, for a lot of people that, you know, have been in CrossFit for a while, and I'm talking like, you know, our time, one of the first things that they saw was like the movie 300. And those guys didn't look like bodybuilders. They were these, uh, you know, Spartan warriors that looked like warriors. They looked like badass fighters. But a badass fighter isn't going to have, you know, the most striation on their shoulders and this, you know, this deep peak in between the bicep and the shoulder and how their, you know, their their leg cuts in, you know, the certain the little teardrop and all that. That's not the deal. You you it's not about looking like a badass. It's being a badass, and the look of it is kind of uh, the byproduct of. And I think that's that's something that made him look like that. He didn't look like a bodybuilder. He just looked like a if you were to think of like a badass construction worker, that's kind of what he looked like. It was pretty cool. Brilliant. What about the mind? I wanted to, I wanted to look like that. You know, I totally did. <laughs> <laughs> well, my dad actually was a, was a veterinarian, a horse vet, so he was never like um, super muscular, but he had like Popeye forearms just from oh, manhandling yeah. horses his whole career. Yeah, I mean, they don't call it old man strength for nothing. You know, I mean, you, you get a, you get you get some of those old guys, and like I think that really is apropos, especially like. When we talk about old, old people, old guys, and they, you know, you, you shake their hand, like, it's like, holy cow, dude, you're like, it's like a vice grip that you got going on in my hand right now, just because they're old guys that used to turn wrenches and bang hammers and pick things up. And I mean, it, there wasn't a whole lot of convenience to work. It was like, you just had to put in work. So I think that's why you get that popeye that Popeye Forum deal. Absolutely. Well, speaking of work ethic, another thing that wrestling is known for is, you know, the the incredible amount of hard work that wrestlers put in when they train. And obviously, you know, the the pain tolerance too. So kind of what was your experience as you started growing through those school years as far as your own physique and your mindset as well? Um I actually I was always a small kid. Um I wasn't I wasn't some big muscly kid by any means. I mean, when I started getting a little bit taller, um, that's just what it was. I was just a little bit taller and, and a lot skinnier. Um, but you know, I still lifted all the time. Um, I still wanted to get stronger and, and, and have some strength, but I think the, the mindset of, uh, no one is going to outwork me. No one's going to out train. And so I never had to worry about that. And that was something that was ingrained into me way early from my dad. I mean, that was, that was definitely it. It was like, Hey, they might be better than you, but they're not going to be in better shape than you. And if they're in better shape than you, all you have to do is you have, you got to weather the storm for a little bit and then you'll be able to crush them. And you know, everyone's great when they're fresh, but it's when they're not fresh and they're tired that they, they'll make mistakes and they get sloppy. And then you can really kind of, you know, tighten the screws on them a little bit. So it was always about having that work ethic to just keep going because you, somebody out there is working, someone out there is training. So if they're doing that, you like, they, they should be scaring you. And that's, what's going to kind of keep that fire going to keep it going. So that's, that's kind of where that came from. And that, I think that it still kind of lives in me even now. Um, I don't like when I don't get to work out or be active or whatever. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't chase it nearly as much as I used to, 
but when I'm in it, you know, and I, and I am doing the workout, I like thinking I have to keep going because someone else is keeping, you know, that that's the way I kind of keep myself pushing the whole time is making up this phantom person that I'm competing against to, you know, keep myself going and trying to push as hard as I can. Absolutely. Now, I want to get to firefighting because obviously there's a huge parallel yeah. between you know, those two. Um, but when you were a high school age, what were your career aspirations as a young man? Um, honestly, I, like I didn't know anything about fire. I, I mean, none, no one in my family was a firefighter. I think there was my dad had one wrestler that eventually went into firefighting, but like I didn't really know much about it at all. Um, all I really knew is that I wanted, well, I did want to be an astronaut. That, that was, I loved all of the, um, all the aeronautical type stuff, not, not necessarily to be an engineer, but I knew that I wanted to go up into space. I had this huge fascination with space and the stars and going to the moon and all that kind of stuff from like five years old on. Um, I was actually supposed to go to the Air Force Academy, I had all my documentation, all my letters of recommendation. Uh, the wrestling coach, they wanted me there and everything. And it wasn't until I went and took a visit at the school, um, at the Citadel, that that's when I decided that I didn't want to go. And it wasn't because it wasn't because it was the military. It wasn't because of anything like that or it was going to be hard work. It was just because my newly turned like I, I was I was a young 18 year old I didn't, I didn't turn May uh, May is my birthday and that was at the end of my senior year that I turned 18 so I mean I was kind of a young 18 year old but at that point I just wanted to get out from underneath my parents and kind of spread my own wings and I felt when I went there and I was talking to some of the first years and stuff that I would go right from one thumb to another thumb and I just I just couldn't get myself to do it at the time. So that's why I ended up leaving there. Um, but the aspiration was I wanted to be an astronaut originally. Past that, it was I just wanted to wrestle. Uh, I wanted to be at a Division One school. I wanted to wrestle with the big kids. I wanted to go to nationals. Um, you know, obviously wanted to be an Olympian. All, all of those kind of uh, athletic type dreams. Uh... Cal Poly didn't have a aeronautical um, engineering major at that time. They just had physics. Um, they did have engineering, but they had physics. So I went in under physics, and that was not something that I really wanted to do. So got out of that uh, relatively quickly and got into biology. And then, so I think after that, my was my gearing was uh, with a a. a a concentration on anatomy physiology that I wanted to be a doctor and kind of played that route for a while and then got hurt. Um, you know, you, you go through your college career and you have these different injuries and, uh, I had a pretty bad scapular tear and that put me out for a while and had to do physical therapy with uh, a PT and this guy that I was working with was just really, really great. And I really liked how he tended to me as an athlete and used, his knowledge to get me back, you know, onto the mat as fast as I could. So I really wanted to go that route. And then I was thinking that until the end of my career, uh, the end of my, uh, you know, even my my uh, school career and was coaching and then went back to, I really enjoyed the coaching thing. And then it was like, I, you know what, I think this is my, this is my calling is the, the coaching and teaching and that, that, that team aspect and doing that. I mean, my, see my parents do it forever 
and it's kind of in the blood, I guess. And so that's where it kind of went. So there was definitely a, a switch that went, um, from all the, you know, these other aspirations to, you know, oh, I'm going to be a teacher and a coach. And that was totally different before I even got to fire, which again, was a huge switch. Now, what about lifeguarding? Because you, you, I heard you mention you lifeguarded in California, but you lived in Arizona. So tell me yeah. how that dynamic kind of evolved. Um, uh, originally, I originally when I was in school, I, I you know I took a lifeguard class and I was guarding at the pool at the, one of the local pools around here, and um, we did a beach competition against all the beach guards. We were one of the teams that they were doing. They had usually did like this county competition. And so all the beach guards uh, from the different beaches would come out and compete. And we came out and competed. And it, we were pool guards. So we got our asses handed to us. Didn't know what the hell we were doing. You know, I was waiting for some uh, I mean, story where you where you beat all these beach lifeguards. But that sounds more well, realistic. Well, hold on, hold on. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So, I mean, like, obviously we could swim, but it's different. An ocean rescue is different than a pool rescue. It's a massive, a massive difference um, of the the skills that you need, um, and then the tactics that you'd end up taking. So, and of course, we didn't have. I mean, like the the paddleboard that we had was it, it honestly the one that we used was kind of like a 1967 Volkswagen Beetle versus what these guys had these super lightweight, you know, um, knee paddling needles that they put in the water that were just they would crush us but there was one event that I actually did really well in and it was beach flags and what beach flags is is when you lay down on the ground actually they they did it in, in the Australian sanctional this year which was I was so fired up when I saw this in there I thought it was amazing but you have it's kind of like uh, musical chairs but instead of going around a circle when the music stops you sit down on a chair they line all the athletes up on the sand. So you're laying down in the sand and you're elbow to elbow, laying on your stomach. Your hands are covering over themselves and you lay your chin on your hands. And so you're all the way flat, chest on the ground, hips on the ground, legs on the ground, straight. Heels are together. And then they say, heads up, heads down, and then they blow a whistle. And when they blow the whistle, you get up as fast as you can. You run down the sand, maybe, uh, maybe, I don't know, somewhere between like 10 yards and... 15 yards maybe, and uh, uh, then you dive for a one-foot piece of tubing that is, that's put in the sand, and there's one less than there are people. So you, it's this very aggressive, explosive uh, uh, event. You get up, you run down, and then there's even a, a physical component at the end where you can block people out. You can dive into someone as you're grabbing the flag or grabbing the tube, uh, to get it out of their hand before they can grab it, that kind of stuff. And I got all the way into the finals on that one. And I was like, oh, all right, you little suck. Well, that's okay. Now we're in my game. But for <laughs> me, this was very wrestling-like. It's getting up off the ground quickly, which is what we would do in you know, kind of a referee's type, type of position. And then you're sprinting. And, and I, I mean, I was always, as a wrestler, you're not a long, slow endurance guy. You're sprint-oriented. So everything's going to be in like these quick intervals. And so that was really what that was. And did really well on that. Um, made a name for ourselves just with that one event, which was really cool. But then, of course, after that, I was like, hey, I think I want to be a beach guard now and be out here with these guys and do the training and do the paddling and do all that kind of stuff. So then tried out for um, the a couple of the beaches around here. 
uh, made it into two of them, got to choose the one that was at the the fire station that was close to my where I was living uh, because the fire department ran the lifeguards. And then, man, I was all about it. it I felt like I was on a team again. Um, I love the physical fitness aspect of it. And we, you know, the, the guards that I was training with and working with were real athletic, you know, men and women swimming hard, running hard, you know, we do beach sprints, we do, you know, stair sprints and carrying things and I mean, whatever we could do. And and the harder we made it, the more fun it was. And even the, even to the point where we would do our, we would do our shift and we would have our break and our break, we'd go out and do these like crazy ass workouts on our whatever one hour break that we had. And then we'd come back in and then we'd be hanging out the rest of the time. And I loved it. I loved everything about it. I loved the rescues. I loved the training. Um, I love the, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of at the ready the whole time. And then when something big goes, it's really big and you, it doesn't matter what the scenario is. Like you just have to make it happen. Um, I love being part of a team again, like all of that. And that's what got me so hooked into that realm, that, that emergency, that emergency response, um, element to it. And then that's when I started, you know, started talking to the guys about the whole fire thing. And I'm like, so what, what is this all about anyway? Like, I, I don't even, I don't know anything about it, nothing. And just started kind of learning about, you know, uh, they had some reserve firefighters and paid call firefighters, um, because we're smaller cities. So they had some of those guys that, that were getting experience and learning what the job is and trying to figure out what that was all about. And, you know, then kind of dipping that toe into, uh, you know, the fire world. I mean, we did run a lot of calls with the fire department. If there was a water rescue, we would be the ones that were the water rescuers and we would transition off to the firefighters and they would kind of take over with the medical stuff or we would assist them. If there was a cliff rescue call, they would do the cliff rescue part, but we'd be in the water in case there was some sort of a water issue that, that was happening with it. So I, I just got so enthralled by that. Um, I knew my full-time job was teaching in Arizona. I mean, so once I had that, and I love that job. I mean, I loved working with the kids and, uh, you know, being a high school teacher and, and coaching and all that. But I was probably the only Arizona high school teacher that would, you know, had surfing pictures up in my in my classroom. And, you know, if, if the sub was there that day and I they needed something to watch, they'd be watching, I don't know, Endless Summer or something else, you know, <laughs> that they could that the kids could kind of watch. So uh, but yeah, that was kind of that transition. So I loved it so much that I was giving up a career that, I mean, I was basically set with the teaching part and tried to save whatever I could save that one year and then came out to California and it was, or it came back out to, you know, to guard again. And then was like, okay, I, you know, I'm going to go to the, uh, community college Academy so I can get that firefighter one certificate so I can start testing for a lot of these other departments. And, really start getting after it because I mean that was when I was applying and testing that was back in the day where you know you'd go to a test down in LA for a, a LA County Fire Department and there'd be two spots and there'd be like 18,000 people that are testing for it so it was super competitive and you know any any way to get any sort of experience at all, you know, you would do whatever you could. And that, that's kind of where that went. So once that happened, I was out in California and it was all fire. I tested everywhere. Um, and lucky was able to, um, you know, right time at the right, right place at the right time and all that, but be able to get a job, um, as a firefighter here 
um, it, you know, where I was already living in, in San Luis Obispo, or actually in Pismo Beach, and then work my way through the, the department that way. So, yeah. Brilliant. Well, going back to, to lifeguarding for a second, I lifeguarded never at the beach. It was just wasn't a beach anywhere near me where I live, but I lifeguarded yeah. on uh, in pools a lot and, and even like the kind of smaller versions of water parks and then um, yeah. on lakes in, in America as well and, and in England. And yeah. what I noticed once I entered the fire service is I, I was so bored lifeguarding. Sometimes I would be praying that someone would drown just so I could go in and do something. <laughs> I felt horrible, you know, but that's what was so beautiful about the fire department. Basically, you just go do your thing. We'll let you know if there's an emergency. And I love that yeah. element. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And that was, you know, that was one of the, the, the emergency rescue part of lifeguarding, especially on the beach, um, was, obviously exciting uh but the way that we got ready to do that was physical activity and that physical activity i absolutely loved it like all of it all parts of it i was all in so whether i was actively just sitting there doing my job and nothing was happening or we were training to get ready or we were making the rest of it, like i loved all of it plus i just love the summertime i mean how could you not like being at the beach that's the best place ever I mean, I, I would say if I look back at all of my jobs, I love the fire job. I mean, I think that was by, that was like the best career, but the best job that I've have ever had has been lifeguarding. I mean, even, even now, like I'll, I'll go to my, I'll go to the beach with my youngest daughter and we'll just be hanging out there doing whatever. And I'll see the lifeguards doing the thing. And I'm like, you know what? And now here I am retired, a retired fire captain, you know, I'm like, I think I'm going to, I'm going to apply to be a lifeguard next year because <laughs> it just, I just love it, man. It's just so cool and so fun. Now what, with, with you being a swimmer in, in, um, you know, your school and college years and then lifeguarding, how did you find the, the water helped you overall as an athlete? Um, the, the most intriguing part about swimming versus other sports i guess or other you know other training methods is one you your your breath is always has to be controlled like your face is in the water sometime and when your face is in the water you're not breathing and the other element to that is that you don't really have the option to stop whenever or wherever you want to like if i'm running and i'm tired i can stop right there i'm boom stop if I'm doing stairs, boom, I can stop. If I'm lifting a weight, I can burp, drop the bar. But if you're swimming and you stop, okay, well, now you're going to go underwater and now you still have to hold your breath while you're going underwater. I mean, unless you're like holding onto the lane line or something like that, but there's still an element of you are unable to stop. And so I think that having the ability to control yourself in a uh, a situation when you are fatigued is uh, that always plays to your favor as an athlete or as a career person because it it forces you to really have to monitor what your emotions and what your feelings and what your physiology is doing. You can't just go into straight panic mode um, just because you're tired. You always have to have your hands on the reins a little bit to make sure that you're in control of what's going on. So I think that that's a huge element um, and helped and, and has helped a lot of people. Uh, in fact, I th- you know, if you're looking on the CrossFit side, I think that a lot of the athletes that were swimmers, they, they can go to a lot of places that a lot of other really good CrossFit athletes can't go just because they know that they'll be all right. They know that they can breathe. 
Um, they know that they can kind of just sit in that 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 pain cave for a while, um, and they can keep going. They don't have to stop. Which I, so I think it's a unique thing you get out of swimming. Absolutely. Well, I think there's a lot of study as well on on the breath now. You know, it's really becoming oh, yeah. a thing, especially with what you know we did because you yeah. only got the finite amount of air on your back too. And one thing I hear from the swimmers in in my gym where I train um, is just that. Like, there's one the the owner, one of the owners, yeah, you know, there's the owner and his wife. She mm-hmm. was a high level swimmer, and and her face never changed. Like she's playing poker the whole time. She never looks yeah. freaking tired ever. But yeah. she has an incredible machine, and I think part of it is that she's so relaxed, and she you know she can see what that workout's going to be like. She paces it the right way. And she keeps her breathing, you know, the absolute minimum it needs to be, and it, and it absolutely works for her. Yeah, I mean, like swimming, swimming is a tough deal. If you doing any physical activity and having to hold your breath, that's always going to you're going to learn a lot of stuff from that. Um, learning about your uh, what I mean, it's not like you're learning moral lessons or anything like that. You're learning how to handle uncomfortable situations, and I mean whether whether you're talking competitive or you're talking career or you're talking incident or you're talking, you know, anything in that realm, the people that are able to handle more discomfort and be okay are the ones that are going to keep, they're going to ones, they are going to be the ones that succeed. The ones that like, you know, it gets a little dicey and or it's painful or they're breathing hard or whatever. And the the answer to that is to stop are only going to get so far. And I think that that's something I mean, that's honestly I think that's why I, I believe that sports are so important for people to do um, as kids, because I think that that's something that kids need to learn. I mean, we are so. We don't want our kids being hurt. We don't want them to be, you know, bullied. We don't want them to be troubled. We don't want them to experience any sort of sadness or any sort of pain or any sort of discomfort. And because they don't get that, they don't have the tools to be able to handle that when when life kind of smacks them in the face with it. So I think that, you know, sport is a way for them to get that in a very safe environment. Um, You know, anything that's going to get hurt is really their feelings, you know, and that's okay. We have to learn how to be able to deal with that. So uh, those that can deal with discomfort will always succeed over those that can't, for sure. Well, speaking of getting well, being comfortable, uh, getting comfortable being uncomfortable, what was your experience like through the academy and then orientation at your department? Uh, so I was a little bit older. I was 27, 28, somewhere in there when I, when I first got into it. So I was a little bit older. Uh for me, I knew that it was, I knew that the academy was a game. And I think that was the maturity level that allowed me to, to do that. In a game, a game as far as you're going to be tested. And sometimes the, uh, you know, the, the different teachers and the different mentors and the, the, uh, the people that you're working with are going to test you not only on your technical skills, but on your mental skills. Are you able to handle, you know, people yelling at you? Are you be able to handle, you know, things going south on you when you're in a, you know, a, a stressed out situation? Are you able to keep your your technical skills and all that solid 
with, you know, fire and smoke and everything all around you, those types of things. And so for me, it was the game was not to let any of that affect me, not to let not to take anything personal. I mean, at all. Um, just to keep my head down and keep doing, doing the work that I needed to do regardless of what was happening around me. And I think that was kind of the main, the main thing. So, I mean, obviously being an athlete, the physical stuff was, was fine. So I, that was never a concern of mine. I was never worried that like, oh man, we have to do this one test and this is going to be really physically hard. For me, it was like, okay, we're going to do this hard test and that's going to be good because all these other people are going to fail on that and I'm going to be able to shine because of the of the physical part like how those were those were the elements where I was like bring it to me like come on um and you know when you have that I think that 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 makes it that makes it uh it puts it in your favor and whenever you're in a situation like that anytime anything is in your favor it's going to be way more fun and you, you kind of get to that flow state so for me the academy was tough um but um, I expected that and I honestly, I enjoyed it. I, I, I loved, I loved when they tried to mess with me. I loved with the, you know, the, the skills and the tests that we had to do that they really tried to mess with us when we were doing it. Um, just because I, I saw everybody else struggling with that and not just being able to go to work. And that was, that was where I was able to kind of really, you know, really make my mark. And I, so I, I enjoyed it actually. I know a lot of people hate, a lot of people hate it because they know that they're under the microscope. Um, I don't know. I just, I just kind of liked it. I think I got that part from wrestling. You know, you, you're, when you're out there by yourself, it's just you versus the other person. So you don't have anyone else to blame other than yourself if you don't do well. So it was just like, all right, let's just go. Here we go. So I, I really enjoy, I enjoyed it. Brilliant. Yeah. I mean, I, I had two that were incredibly hard and one that was kind of mediocre. There was some hard, hard elements, but they started pulling the reins on the intensity way too far the wrong way. And then one that was a yeah. complete joke. And the one I hated was a complete joke. Like I loved yeah. being challenged and I've always been, I'm six foot tall and 168. So kind of a beanpole. And so, but it was a challenge. Long and lean. Yes. Long and lean. Yes. But so that was it. Is I had the realization from, from my journey, you know, through martial arts and everything is if something's hard, if you train, it's not hard anymore. So I worked out, you know, I worked a desk job and worked out on my lunch break. And then when I got home, I'd, I'd run and do all these other things, you know, do the combat challenge before Fire Academy started every morning, every time we went to training. And so when your fitness and your strength was up to par, now you have to focus on is the skills because you're not right. tired. And that was what I realized. Right. You can control your academics. You can control your physical fitness. And that leaves far fewer things that are out of your control. And you're not going to get screamed at as much if you're the first person to the top of the tower. You know? Totally. So, so, yeah, I mean, I think realizing how much is in your control and owning that and working on that is a huge tool for success in any academy orientation. Oh, man, totally. Totally. And then that's what you do. You concentrate on that. I mean, you can't worry what everyone else is doing. You can't control what they're doing or what they are saying or whatever. You, all you can control. And that's, you know, I think now there's a, there's a big, a big push in a, in a lot of different realms of that, that stoic sort of philosophy. Um, even, even in the competitive scene, um, you know, in the CrossFit competitive scene, I, I think that knowing that you can only control what you can control and then you adjust your response to the thing to the other things that are happening based on that. Um, 
that's huge. And I've seen that play out uh, successfully when people are able to do that in all kinds of different arenas. But it's not it's not an easy it's not an easy task. It's something that you definitely have to have to work on and practice uh, because it's so easy to get fired up. And in in, in, a, in a fire realm, I mean, I mean, what do they always say that an incident is? It's a it's a a bunch of control or an uncontrolled reactions, basically a mess that you're trying to do the absolute best that you can, and hopefully no one gets hurt. I mean, that's really what it is. So you go into any incident knowing that like there's going to be all kinds of shit that goes wrong and that goes south. And how are you going to be able to respond to that? How are you going to be able to react to that so that you can still get your job done but still be safe at the same time? And you have to, there's a, you have to have a very open mind about that and you cannot be all pissed off and fired up and all that. Like that doesn't do anything, especially in a fire scene, that doesn't do anything. I mean, I've had countless times where I've had to calm people down just so that they can see straight because they're getting all fired up about, oh, my hose is hung up and the rope is tied up here and uh, I got a wire stuck on my, on my bottle and I can't do it. Ah, and they just kind of start freaking out because they're they're letting their emotions kind of get the best of them. That's the wrong place to have that happen. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say about organized chaos because it's true. I remember my very first fire I had in Hialeah there was a car fire and it was in a in a yard, so there was a wooden fence and, and gate there. Yeah. And I saw some other people pulling, so I went over and grabbed and started yanking on it again, you know, like you said, going <laughs> going yeah. 110%. <laughs> and I ended up on my back with the fence on top of me. It was a complete <laughs> clusterfuck, everything. But then I realized like this is what a fire actually looks like. Like you said, each one of us are doing our best. The 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 salty vets are the ones that are calm, that aren't shouting. All us new guys are running around, you know, like ah <laughs> Yeah. And so your goal is to go from complete you know, mess of a rookie to the old bull, the person that can get off the truck, look around like my, my truck, uh, um, captain in, in California was a perfect example. He would yeah. see, he wouldn't even see 360. He'd see 720. I don't know. His, 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 his <laughs> understanding of a scene was insane, but yeah, that was yeah. what, and then it's less is more and it's kind of yeah. transitioning, look through, looking through your career. How can I, how can I get to that point? Like you said, it's mindset, but it's also training and trusting your skills too. So, well, well, and it, you know, I mean, obviously there's a lot of experience that, that has, that builds into some like that. That isn't something that you have on day one by any means. Um, I mean, even now, even now here I am, I've been out of the job now for six years, I think something like that. And when I do when I do my best work, it's when something happens and it's really bad because then like my priorities get very like they, they aren't wishy-washy at all. Like I know exactly what the priorities are going to be. It's not, it's not, well, I would really like this to go on and I would really like this to happen. I'd really like this to happen. It'd be really cool if these things would work. It's like, no, okay, shit's hitting the fan. Okay, here's one, here's two, here's three, here's four. We go from there. And, you know, even like with the whole COVID thing that just went down and, you know, even like with the gym and stuff, I mean, there were, there were so many things that people had to quickly switch to. And, you know, even if, even if they were, you know, a first responder or not, things that you had to deal with and you could either choose to be like, this is just so difficult and this, this is just not the way I normally do it and so uncomfortable and blah, blah, blah. Or you can just go, okay, 
here's the situation. How do I make how do I make it best for what I have to do? And literally go from that step. And I, I think like that, I, my skills with that now have come directly from fire. And I love seeing, uh, man, I love seeing like firefighters, you know, old school captains and whatever, whether it's like, you know, a, a municipal type department and they're just working, you know, large structure fires or building fires or, you know, whatever. Or if they're even on the wildland side, you get these crusty old mountain dogs that they can read a mountainside like they're reading water or they're reading a book. I mean, they they know exactly where that fire is going to go. They know exactly when the winds are going to change and they know exactly when the when the wind's going to die down just based on how they are and what they've done. And um, I I really love seeing people like that and watching people like that. And then it's always good even for myself. Like I can look back on a bunch of incidents that um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I cowboyed a lot of my, you know, incidents if I was, if I was running the scene, but I had a tendency to not be very boxed in, in my thinking. And I would always have to, I always had a chief come up afterward and be like, why the hell did you do it like that? I'm like, oh, well, because of blah, 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 blah. And so I could justify it in my head. I mean, they were all, you know, very, as far as I was concerned, educated responses to what was happening. Um, it just may not have been the way that like, you know, this particular chief has done it all their, all their years, or this is the way that they always would choose to do it. Um, I'm like, but it worked right. And no one got hurt and everything was fine. And these are why I did it. And this were my contingency plans and blah, blah, blah. So I, I think that that being able to stay calm, and being well the other thing is being confident in your decisions and that's that that takes experience there's a lot of people like oh we're gonna do this and then you get your ass handed to you and you're like okay note to self don't ever do it that way ever again <laughs> so the next time you step off the engine you're like okay well i'm not gonna do that other way because i know that way didn't work so um but you, you get some wins under your belt and then you have you start to really have a nice a nice tool chest but the other thing is watching everybody you know you you can only get even if you're in a busy house, like you're going to get a lot of calls and that's great. But through your career, you have to watch what people are doing and see what they're doing and ask why they did it that way and this way so that, you know, you want to build up that, that, uh, that toolkit or that slide, you know, that, that slide cassette with all the different possibilities so that if all of a sudden you're the one running the show or you're the one on the end of the, of the nozzle, okay, what do I do here and why am I choosing to do that? Let me look at these examples um, you know, so I, I can quickly come up with something to uh, to make it work out the the right way and get the right response out of it. Yeah, I think humility is a huge thing too for you to grow. I think that the, especially I'm seeing a lot in a couple of departments I've, I've been around recently where this is a huge turnover. Like a lot of I don't know why, but there seem to be a lot of hiring like late 80s, early 90s. So then now they're they're hiring all these guys, and you've got you know an entire engine. Where the yeah. most experienced guy who just took the lieutenant or captain's test has got, you know, five, six years on and then the yeah. engineer's three years and then the two rookies in the back. You know, yeah. so you know, you have to be humble. But it but if you're not careful, you they like you said were a cowboy, you, you start thinking like you're bloody John Wayne, you know, yeah. and, and that you know it all. None of us know all. Thirty year guys that I admire we're training with us all the time. We're working out with us. We're doing drills. We're going to buildings saying, how would you, you know, fight a fire if we had it here? Or how would yep. we ladder this roof? And I think that if you don't have the humility, you're not going to grow and you are going to become that complacent 
firefighter that, that dwells in a lazy boy watching Jerry Springer reruns. <laughs> Man, that's a that's a really ugly picture right there. <laughs> <laughs> but I've seen totally it. Totally true, <laughs> totally true and totally apropos, but like totally ugly. But you I think what you what you said was uh one of the things that I really like what you said was what would we do if the fire was here? What would we do if we had this incident here? Like coming up with like making up those scenarios so that you already have an idea before it happens. And the ones that do that, I wouldn't say that they are, I mean, they're being humble because it's like, you know, you're, you're testing the stuff out. So, I mean, there's definitely that part, but I think that the, the idea of training the what ifs before the what if happens rather than just going, all right, well, we're going to do the Denver drill. And today we're going to do the Denver drill. Then we're going to do the Denver drill. Cause all you could get really good at is doing the Denver drill, the Denver drill and the prop of the Denver drill. Like if you ever have done the Denver drill and you turn the guy around the other way, it completely ruins what they're trying to do. And you will watch people that like can have the, the record Denver drill at their, at their department. And all of a sudden you turn them around and now that per, now their, their time is completely jacked because they aren't just, they're not responding to what they're supposed to do. They're thinking that it's always going to be like this. And, and you know, if you're looking at a fire incident, it's never always like this. It's never, or very, very rarely is it, you know, textbook setup. Um, you're always going to have to adapt and overcome. You're always going to have to modify and, and, and change things around or, you know, say, okay, we, we can kind of go this one particular type of way that we've done, that we've gone before. We know that it worked before, but we have to watch out for X, Y, and Z because it's not exactly the same. Um, and I think that that is, Ah, man, I mean, you could say it's being humble, I guess, but I think it's just being smart. It's just not being not being an egomaniac bonehead. Um, <laughs> because the fact of the matter is, is, like, people can, in fire, people can die. Firefighters can die. Public can die. And so, you know, the stakes are high. And you have to, you have to be on your game. And the way you're going to be on your game is you can't let the ego get the best of you and say it's my way or the highway and we're only doing it this one way you have to be you got to be like water man you got to be flexible and be able to adjust and and change and modify quickly based on whatever the situation is well you touched on with um with the wrestling training how you were imagining your opponent working harder which you know what you hear from so many of the combat athletes yeah. and then obviously in lifeguarding you know now lives actually are at stake and that's something that i've really found surprising and i try to be very fair i was telling us before we start recording on this podcast and i do highlight a lot of the elements of the job that are definitely enemies of motivation of recovery you know the maximized chance of injury all these things but the other side is ownership and it i mean i've worked for four departments in my career and um you know there were some where just full of super motivated people but there are others where Telling someone, hey, lives depend on what we do, was it it didn't matter. It didn't even register with some of these people. Yeah. And it blew my mind. So with your, you know, um entry into the fire service, what was your perception, your particular department? And then tell me kind of how that factored in with your finding CrossFit and then and then creating an affiliate. Um I think that, so when I started with Pismo Beach Fire Department, they were a small department, so they could kind of set how they wanted their um, their requirements and their tests for people for coming in. I actually was 
at least in my in my time, um, I helped design the physical fitness test that we had, and it was aggressive. Um, and that was before the CPAT and all that, or the was it CPAT that was they call it now. Yeah. Yes. Um, the uh, that test where it was quote unquote um, non discriminatory and tested um, so that if someone passed it, you knew that they would be able to do the elements of the job, which I think is the biggest crock ever. Um, the fact of the matter is whether you are in a big city department or you're in a small town department, when people call 911 for your help, they are not looking for someone that um, is proficient at rope skills or, um, you know, understands how to, uh, you know, run a hose from the fire hydrant to the engine and get the, you know, use a pincer attack on this particular fire. Or whatever. They don't give a crap about any of that. They want Superman and they want Wonder Woman, period. So they want someone, they want someone that's going to be able to save the day. And generally speaking, to save the day is not going to be someone that can't bend over to touch their toes, that can't pick up someone off the ground, that isn't going to be able to put a hole in a wall if they need to, or isn't going to be able to th- put a ladder up if they need to, or, or something to that effect. Like there is a physical aspect to this job. And when I was the, uh, in my later, the later half of my career, I was the uh, physical fitness coordinator for our, for our county. And I would tell people that, and that would be the first thing I would say to all of our all of our firefighters, all of our ranks of firefighters when we, when we would do our annual testing. Um, and it wasn't by any means any kind of a crazy test, but it was what I it was something that I could at least do to everyone, which was good. Um, I would tell them that, and I was like, "Look, we would put a brand new engine out of service because the retarder wasn't working perfectly." And all that is is the safety element to, so that the guy on the nozzle isn't getting too much, you know, kickback on the nozzle. That's it. If that thing is running great, it can pump water all day long. Um, the wheels are great. The brakes are great. It can get us up this hill, whatever. We will take that thing out of service. Yet we will have firefighters that, that their knees are so bad. They can't pick things up. Um, they're overweight. Um, their diet is crap. And they say that they can do their job. Just because they haven't messed something up yet doesn't mean that they can physically do their job. And like they are in my in my mind, a firefighter, a cop, um, anyone that's doing something like that, they are a paid athlete. And that has to be that has to be in there somewhere. Like you you can't be you're not pushing pencils around, you know? It's it's not a Oh man, I hate when people tell me like, well, you know, I, I'm only doing the re- the recumbent bike right now because you know it's low impact. Like low impact. <laughs> when the hell did firefighting become a low impact deal? And if that's the case, like if you can't do your job, then get out of the job. I mean, I I know nobody wants to get out of it because of the retirement's great and the you know the benefits are great and all that kind of stuff. And that's one of the. I mean, I'm all. I've had a lot of friends that have. Uh, worked with the um, uh, the union and have gotten a lot of great things for fire to fire, for firefighters and fire departments and you know really working to to help protect them like that. But I cannot stand when I see people that have no business being on the engine anymore or have no business being on the engine anyway, 
um, hiding behind the union and the union not saying like, <laughs> I'm sorry, you don't need, you should not be on the, like we'll put you behind a desk somewhere because that's where you're suited best. And the only way I think you can really uh, make sure that that happens is that the, the department has to have a physical fitness aspect to their training. We do all the training for the SCBA stuff and can they throw ladders and can they do this and can they do that? But then all of a sudden this other part just becomes a, well, we're, we're making sure that they work out so that they, well, you know, firefighters, they die of heart attacks. So we just want to make sure that, you know, that they're healthy. No, that is not why they are working out. They are working out because when they respond to an incident, shit's supposed to be hitting the fan. And if it is, you need people that are healthy and fit to be able to handle that. Because you can have all the information in your head. You can know everything there is to know about fighting fire and you know doing whatever. But if you are exhausted, you cannot mentally do any of that. So now you are a liability to all the people that you're working with. And I just... You know, now that I'm out of it, I don't have to be as politically correct about it. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> um, which is great because, like, I'll I'll tell guys straight up. I'm like, I, you know what? You, okay, you are you're swimming. That's great that you're swimming. Do you respond to any water rescues at all in your jurisdiction? Well, no. Okay, so if you're do if you if that's the case, why are you swimming? Like, what do you do in your? Well, see, we have a lot of buildings in our department. Okay, then why are you why are you not packed up? going upstairs all the time or why are you not doing a lot of leg lifting or why are you not able to run this certain amount of distance when you know that that's going to be what you're dealing with why are you swimming well you know it's a good exercise and okay you're not general public you don't get to exercise you're supposed to be training like and i think that's that's the mindset that has to be different but it can't it can't work that way because the union's don't push it. There are no incentives to do that. Uh, I mean, I would love it if they would make it to where you could get, you know, your insurance would be different. You could get an incentive on your pay. You, and a lot, you know, some departments do do it, but a lot of them have a really hard time doing that. I, I think that that's huge. It shouldn't be an option. And I think that the fact that it's a, it's an option is a, I mean, that's terrible. It shouldn't be that way. I'm not expecting everyone to, all be at the the young buck, you know, uh, level. But guess what? When a fire goes down, it doesn't care if you are 65 or 55 or 25. It doesn't care if you were up late last night. It doesn't care if you um, if your knees are hurt. It doesn't care if your back is hurt. Fire's gonna go, and you have to put it out. Period. And you know, when you boil it down to that, it's like, how can you not have physical fitness? involved into uh, or just as important as every other piece of firefighting involved wh whether it's skill or not you have to be proficient in skills you should be proficient in your fitness period see i agree 100 i'll step off my i don't know if i should step off my soapbox now or no what? stay up because because i'm i just stepped up with you so here we go <laughs> so uh, one of the phrases i i use is how would you feel if your family died because the responder hadn't trained it kind of reframes that. Would you want you saving you? Because I think that your family, you know, I, I would yeah. die for my family. So, but to think that someone burned up in Grenfell, in, you know, wherever, any name a high rise, yeah. any city, because the person tapped out on floor 10 is yeah. unacceptable. But that's exactly what we've enabled. And, and I'm going to pick on the unions for a second because I've seen this in 
at least two of the departments I've worked at, where the unions are full of deconditioned firefighters that are putting these anti-fitness initiatives in place because they know damn well if they're called out, they're going to be the ones on the chopping block. So they, I've worked for departments where... They blocked annual fitness tests. They blocked, you know, fitness initiatives. They blocked training yeah. in the heat, training in the dark, training in the rain. I mean, uh, you know, it, it, to the point where, you know, well, let's get Barney to come join our fire service then, shall we? Totally. It's getting that childlike. But the, the, the Green Berets, the Navy SEALs, the, the English and Australian SAS, everyone I've had on here that's what we regard as the, the, the best of the best military athletes, tactical athletes, all hold us to the same standard, to the police and the fire. They say, you know, we should, you know, we're the ones protecting their family when they're overseas fighting for this country. So the hiring standards should be hard. It should be a hard test. Now, absolutely not, you know, oh, you're going to have to deadlift 500 for for reps. No, you got to make it, like you said, work um, applicable to the tasks that we do. But whether you're male, female, black, white, gay, straight, Muslim, Christian, whatever, a ladder is a ladder, a hose is a hose, you either can or you can't. That's the only prejudice in the fire service. But that has to be maintained. This whole, oh, well, you know, the 50-year-olds, we're going to make it easier. The ladder doesn't give a shit that you're 50. I'm 46, (laughs) you know, and I've had back injury and, and knee problems. And, you know, it, it, it is what it is it's up to you as the individual to overcome that and heal and strengthen. But I couldn't agree with you more. If we lower the standards, the same with, the, you know, with, with the maintaining the fitness in the fire service, annual testing should be the case. That's what the SEALs do. It's what the Rangers do. It's what all these elite operators do. Yep. And you're allowed to slip and slip and slip. Now, I totally agree with the other side. You implement this, you know, you can't just say, all right, tomorrow everyone needs to be here or you're all fired. There has to be an easing in. But like you said, transition people to areas where initially they're not on the line till they get up to that point. Be, you know, be a brotherhood. Take care of anyone that's trying to get themselves back to where they fell from. And then, you know, and then you have longevity as well. But if you're not prepared to put the the work in, and you're, you know, you start filing grievances. Oh, it's not fair. They said I got to get fit. <laughs> then, like yeah. you said, then there's some fantastic professions that you can enter where you can sit on your ass all day and not take your fitness seriously. But the fire totally. service and law enforcement are not those careers. Yeah. And I, the, so I, I was the physical fitness coordinator for my department. Um, I established. I guess reestablished a a test that we had and it was a state standard test. So I, I knew that if I, at least if I use that, I wouldn't get like, Oh, you're trying to make some CrossFit test and everyone's trying to be like CrossFit games athlete. It wasn't anything like that by any means, but I knew I could, I could set it up to be like, okay, it was a basically a meet standards below standards or substandard is kind of how it was set up. And as we did these tests and we did them, we did them annually. And I mean, the first time, the first time I did it, I had union reps on the phone right away. I had, uh, officers mostly cause they're, they're the older guys. Not, it's not so much the younger guys, but the older guys would be like, you know, how dare they're going to tell me that I need to do blah, 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 you know, these kind of things. And I'm like, look, as of right now, we're just getting everyone. We want to do this every year. The object is we want you to improve every year. That was kind of the initial intent. Now, what they didn't really know was over the course of however many years that is, four or five years or whatever, um, 
I was getting data on all these firefighters and, and their officers. And the way it was set up, I had this, uh, one of my firefighters was a, a whiz when it came to like spreadsheet stuff because I know all the formulas and stuff you can set in there are just amazing. I, I still don't know how to do that stuff. But he set it up to where I could look at um, our unit as a whole. So the way CAL FIRE was set up is it's done in California. It's the state uh, department, but they have units, which are basically the, the different counties. So we could look at the entire county as a whole, all the all of the um, firefighters on the floor, what their fitness level based off of our test was. Was it meet standards, below standards, or you know, substandard? I could do it versus, I could do it by battalions. I could do it by stations. I could do it by... Um, shifts. I could do it by whatever way I wanted to do it. And I had all this information and I presented it to my chief at the time. And the thing was, that, like, my chief was actually a physical fitness guy. He was very into that. He was very proud of the program that, you know, that I was able, put, able to put together for the department and everything. And he would take it all over the state and be like, oh, look at this great thing that we're doing here in, you know, in our county. Um, and I said, hey, okay, so the way it's written up in our in our SOPs is that the captain of the station is responsible for the engineers and the firefighters below him to make sure that everyone is up to standard. And if they're not, he needs to get them up to standard. The battalion chief is supposed to make sure that all the captains are up to standard and making sure that they, if they aren't up to standard, they get up to up to, up to standard. Same thing with the chiefs. We have the, you know, our, our chief rank system was the same. It was actually the same way because a lot of them, at least in our department, they did have the opportunity, they did have the chance that they would have to either one, go into a structure or two, have to make an initial on or help with the initial on a wildland fire just because there are some really rural areas and they may be the first on the scene and so they have to be able to do something. So they still have to have a, a level of, of fitness to be able to do those things. The thing is, is that that never happened. And I would always say, well, what if OSHA decides to come in? Because someone someone dies, someone gets injured on the job, OSHA is going to want to see, like, well, did they know what they were doing? Let's look at their their testing records. Why aren't they? And they they I think I think that they do as well. What was their fitness like? What was their health like? Was that an issue of why they died in the line of duty, or was it because it was a pure accident or whatever? Um, if you know, if OSHA comes in and finds out that there is a is an issue there then you know the the supervising person is going to be under the gun for that why didn't you take care of these people why didn't you put them on some sort of a a workout program so that they get their fitness back up why why is it that they've come to you know they haven't logged any training in the last 6 months of, of physical fitness training why is that and being able to answer that. And if it's not them, then it's going to be the next chief up or the next officer up or whichever. Um, but when I told my chief that I had all this information, I wanted to get it out to the battalion chiefs to get to their captains. He told me no, because he didn't want to embarrass any of the people that were on that list. And I was like, whoa, are you serious right now? And he's like, he's like, yeah, Bill, you know, we want to, we want to ramp up everyone, not bring them down. And I was like, Wow, you have no idea what you're telling me. I don't think you understand exactly what it is that you're telling me. You are telling me that you do have people that are embarrassing and you don't want them to feel bad, but you would rather put them in the engine out to the community to do our work. I go, that seems con 
completely backwards to me. So I had a really hard time with that. I had a really hard time with that. I had to bite my tongue a lot. Um, and, you know, like I said, I, I have a lot of love for all the people that I work for and worked with. But when it came down to that stuff, um, the majority of the arguments that I had with uh, my my chief officers usually came down to those types of things where I just couldn't believe that they would leave someone in there that really had no business being in there. And I'm with you. I don't I don't care who the firefighter is. I don't care if it's a man. I don't care if it's a woman. I don't care if they're old. I don't care if they're young. I don't care what race they are. I don't care what their sexuality is. I don't care. The incident is going down and we need people that can handle the work to do the work, period. If you can't handle it, get off the engine, period. Absolutely. Drop mic. (laughs) (laughs) Drop the mic. (laughs) Well, that's what I was going to say. I was going to brain fire for a second I was listening to you um so what I really want to underline as well is that right now I feel like law enforcement is being held over the coals and for some incidents that we've seen rightly so for those individuals but as a profession I you know my heart breaks for all those officers out there who take their job seriously and who train and and departments who understand the importance of that and you know provide an environment for them to to improve as you know, their weapons training, their defensive tactics, their fitness. But this is a great time for that mirror to flip around in the fire department and look at themselves. Because this summer, I've seen a whole bunch of people applauded um, for COVID doing basically what we do anyway, which is mask up yeah. or wear gloves, you know. And, <laughs> yeah. um, but especially in areas of my friends, you know, all over the, the country, all over the world, excuse me, have told me this. Like, it feels kind of weird because we're being hailed as heroes, but our core load is halved at the moment. <laughs> so yeah, we're really not totally. doing a whole lot. So this is the perfect time for that humility we talked about where we have to look at our department, take that George Floyd incident and turn it into a fire or EMS call where obviously you're not kneeling on civilian's throat, but the same kind of thing where your lack of training caused someone to lose a loved one, a family member, because it's great to point right now at law enforcement and go, ah, oh, sucks to be you, but that's not. That's a representation of any any profession, you know? I mean, anyone where, period. Yeah, where lives are at yeah. stake. Even, even dispatch. If you're a shitty yep. dispatcher, you might, you know, give the wrong instructions and, and someone dies at the end of the phone. So yeah. I think it's so important for us to take this moment and apply it to the other first responder professions to make sure that we are all accountable and would you want this current environment with law enforcement happening to fire happening to ems happening to dispatch or corrections because if you're not ready it's coming so now is the time to change yeah and you know it's really funny i the whole george floyd thing i mean it was obviously obviously appalling i mean should have never happened period um, I got into a couple discussions with uh, my brother was one of them and a couple other people that I've talked to and they were one of the ideas was okay if if you're having to use that sort of force like that's not your normal setup of stuff so it seems to me that if you're so worried about this guy getting up and getting away then your fitness level must be pretty shitty. That you're that you are that concerned that this guy is going to get up and run away, and you're not going to be able to do what you need to do. That you need to take that sort of a stance on this guy. So I mean, part of me was thinking like, well, maybe, maybe now is the time to look at physical fitness because if a lot of the officers, like you know, they're they're 
um, a lot of departments are setting them up to where you know, they can't do strangleholds and they can't do different holds and they can't do different uh, sort of techniques on, on people that they're working with. Okay, that's fine. If, if that's, I mean, if that's the way that it's going to be going, but now all that tells me is now that officer or that firefighter, whoever you're working with on, if it's EMS or whatever, uh, you now have to be even more fit to be able to take care of these people without using, you know, the whole deadly force thing. You're going to have to physically restrain people, hold people, chase people, get people or, or help people, pick people up. Um, move people from one place to another, carry them out of a window, carry them out of a room. And how is that? How are you going to be able to do that if you aren't physically ready to do that? Like there's just, I don't think that the tests that we do uh, physically, uh, fitness tests, it's really hard because part of me wants to, uh, in, my, in my view, the, the training that, that EMS people should be doing is training for the absolute worst day, the absolute, the gnarliest call that they could ever do, because then they know that they'll be ready for that. It, it makes no sense to train, quote unquote train, to the, I just want to get some exercise because the incident will always be more than that. It doesn't matter if it's a, if it's a law enforcement issue or if it's a, a fire issue. Um, it's going to require more from you and putting a badge on your chest does not give you any extra power. It gives you like, it gives you an ego for about 10 seconds until all that adrenaline rushes out. And then all of a sudden you're in this, Oh my God, what the hell am I doing here? And I can't do anything now. And that's a problem. Um, but the only way you can combat that is by having a fitness program. And you're right. You have to step up and you have to, you have to have your department say, all right, guys, girls, everybody, we need you to know that you're going to be able to handle your job. We need to know if you're, a, if you're an officer that you're going to be able to chase someone down. You're going to be able to jump over a wall and chase them down. That you're going to be able to uh, you know, crawl under a bunch of stuff to get to someone and pull them out. Firefighters, same thing. You're going to have to do, you're going to have to pick someone up and move them. You're going to have to pull them up off a roof. You're going to have to put a hole in a roof and lower yourself down. You're going to have to do, I mean, whatever, whatever it is. But if, if there is an issue with that, you know, sit your department down in, you know, in a, in a room and say, okay, let's grab the biggest guy, put all their turnout stuff on and say, okay, Two of you have to get him out right now. Let's put you on air. You have to get him out of this room right now this way. And we'll stack up some hoses in front of the door so it makes it a little more difficult. And if you can't, guess what? You just had a, you just had a, 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 a crew of yours die. Like that, like it's got to be stark reality type stuff like that. Because I just think that the, the discriminatory stuff, the, you know, the union stuff when it goes that route – you're, you're protecting the wrong people. You're not protecting the community. You're protecting that one person. And I'm sorry that it's not that it's, you know, discriminatory against you, but not everyone deserves to have this job. Not everyone is supposed to have this job. If you can't do the job, you should not, you don't deserve to have it, period. If you can do all the stuff you need to, cool. Like if you have one leg and you can do everything that you need to do in this job, bring it, man. Awesome. Absolutely. Awesome. I always said uh, I'd be a shitty accountant. You know what I oh mean? Oh my God. <laughs> totally. Yeah, absolutely. Make someone else count those numbers, man. Those are mine. Those aren't mine. 
Totally. Exactly. Well, there was a um, a high rise hotel right next to my station in the very last apartment I worked for, and uh, it was actually for for Trucker Jukes, who was um, Josh Jukes' uh, son, who's a firefighter oh, yeah. in Hawaii that passed away from pediatric cancer. Yeah. And we put together a fundraiser. I put together a fundraiser kind of event, um, and it was it was basically just climbing that tower with a high rise strip, which on my skinny ass is is a hundred pounds when you put the gear yeah. on and then the tank and the extra tanks and you know, just no, nothing over and above what you would normally do. Right. There were no ninjas on the way up. None, you know, no, no, like from left field scenarios. Yeah. We went up there, we, you know, we did a search, we dragged a dummy out, and then we actually went down a couple of floors and then did a intubation as well on a, on a mannequin, you know, to try and make a scenario. That's a very mm. basal, you know, realistic scenario. There are rooms on those top floors of those hotels and you might have to take the stairs. Totally. And it was looked at like, you know, well, no one else is going to be able to do that. I'm like, this is like you said, you've got to imagine worst case. Best case is I go in there and I take the elevator to the top. That's best case. You <laughs> totally. <know? But laughs> we don't train for that one. <laughs> <laughs> but the worst case is you're going to be really fucking tired before you even make entry to the hallway that you then got to extend hose lines or, you know, make a rescue or, you know, whatever. I mean, drag a, a you know, a civilian out that's been shot, whatever the scenario is. But I couldn't agree more. You have to work out the worst case. It doesn't have to be your daily workout, but it has to be challenges that you throw in to test yourself. Because when it happens, you know, if you second guess, then A, you're going to be so full of fear, you're probably going to spin anyway. Or B, you're just, <laughs> you're just not going to be able to do it. And that person's going to bleed out or burn to death because you cannot do it. And what is that going to be like for you living with the rest of your life? Totally, totally. And I mean, yeah, I mean, and on the flip of that, oh man, I like, that was my favorite thing to do in fire. Like when we would do our training stuff, I mean, I would try to come up with the craziest, just goofball stuff. Not that it always had to be, all right, you have to carry a 500 pound person and you have to do it. You know, it, it wasn't that it was always supposed to be like a physical test, but we could come up with the coolest stuff. I mean, like, like the more off the wall, the better, because it's always a matter of not if it's going to happen, it's just when it's going to happen. All the way to, um, so we live right on the coast. We do a lot of ocean rescues. We do a lot of cliff rescues and stuff like that. And we had uh, this one, this one uh, rock. It was about a 50-foot boulder that was kind of half in the water, half on the on the beach. And... Uh, with our USAR team, we were, you know, we, we would take turns coming up with a different scenario. And I just said, what if we got a kid that decided he wanted to climb up there and got stuck? How would we get him down? Well, I mean, obviously you could say, well, we got the helicopters. We can bring the helicopters and they can lower the basket and they can, you know, or put them in the sling and bring them up that way. But what if the helicopters aren't around? How are we going to get lines up there? How are we going to get up there to do that? I and mean, we can't get a truck down to it. Um, we tried, you know, we had everyone, it's like, here's the scenario test it out and so we had you know the the truckers thinking that they could extend their ladder out to it that wouldn't reach they um you know we had our ropes people trying to come up with ways of getting ropes to it and that ended up being that we practiced this one rope evolution where we would use a slingshot for like a water balloon basically and we would launch a rope bag up and over this rock and we would basically string our rope lines up over the top of this rock to each side set up you know anchor it down onto the the rocks on one side we'd do a whole um uh, rig and belay system on the other side and we could 
ascend the rope up to the patient, get on top of the rock, and then we figured out how we would lower them down using the stokes if we had to use the stokes or whatever, and you know, take them from there. Thought it was super fun to kind of mess with and just kind of, you know, screw around with or whatever. And every, I don't know, every like, we do it like once a year just to kind of play with it. And it was in my jurisdiction. So if I we had some newer firefighters in the area or whatever that they were doing a, 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 a overtime shift or something, we'd kind of go and play with something like that just so they can kind of get their hands on it. Well, lo and behold, one <laughs> kid decides to climb up there, and here we go. And I'm like, no, I'm like, it's my call. It's totally the the the. I mean, in the exact spot, everything. So the chief that I had at the time comes up, and he's like, okay, what do you want to do? And I'm like, chief, okay, here are here are our plans. We've already we have already done this. You start, we'll come out, we'll do our thing. We can start the lines here. And he's like, okay, but I think we can get the helicopters. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, but let us at least run through these steps. If for, I mean, if the helicopter's going to come, cool. So then in my, in my mind, it became a race between <laughs> can we get our lines up and over and get to the kid before the helicopter comes? And, um, and I actually was, oh, man, <laughs> it was a total race. It was great, though, because it was, you know, again, we, we'd had the training. Um, the guys on the U-Star team were, were I mean, they kind of come from all the other, you know, a handful of the departments and stuff. So they were kind of all coming in different vehicles. So by the time they all showed up. I was actually able to be the one that was able to go up on the line and get up. And I heard the helicopters coming. Um, and I knew the guys that were actually on that, on that ship. So I wanted to make sure that I beat them up to the patient. <laughs> so I got up there and as I crest and I get to the top, I get word from my chief. He's like, Hey, we're just going to go ahead and have the, the helicopter pick them off. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. I mean, it was fine because we did what we needed to do. But the thing was, is it, that exact call happened and it seemed before that that it was like there's no way that's going to happen there's no way that some kid's going to climb up there and here it is here it is you know um and it was it was amazing so that kind of stuff happens i think more than people give it credit you know whether it's you can you lift a body up you know through a a hallway that has stuff piled up five feet and you got to get them up and over and, you know, out while you're still on air. I mean, and anything, I mean, let, let, I even think it's great to let everyone get involved in the training. So it not, it's not only the, the, you know, the officer on the floor, the captain, the engineer, the lieutenant, whatever, um, be the one that's making it up. They could be like, all right, give us something, come up with whatever you want. And then we'll just try to make it work, you know, and come up with it. That's training. You know, because the job is already outside the box. The job is already something that is not normal. So, or the uh, the incidents are always going to be something that's not normal. So, why would you train on classic textbook step one, step two, step three type of stuff? Those steps will be there, but I mean, make it cool. I mean, man, I had so much fun doing all that kind of stuff. We we repelled off of so many different things and you know, gone into different, you know, different trenches and different other things, just trying to make sure that we were all ready to go for it. It was all, I, I, that, that stuff I miss. I, that, that stuff was really fun. Yeah. Well, that's such a great way of, of being prepared too. So you, you know, when you approach that, um, scenario, you were like, I've done this before, you know, versus oh, having that moment, like, how the hell are we going to do this? This is not what the kid at the top of the boulder wants to hear. Exactly. And that will, and you will know because you've played with it before, you will know exactly where your fitness lays in that. You'll know that if you have a big guy or one of your big truckies goes down, you're already going to know, oh shit. Okay. 
When I did this in the station, I blew through this bottle. Now here we are, we're on an incident. I have less air already, they're down. All right, now what do I need to do different? Or do you feel like on the testing that you just got your ass handed to you, you don't, you don't feel very strong? Well then hopefully it, it jogs you to be like, okay, maybe I need to start lifting some weight or doing some deadlifts or doing some cleans or doing something so that I can I have more tools to use when that when something like that goes down because it will happen. It's not when, it's, just, or it's not if, it's when. So you gotta be ready for it. Absolutely. Well, I don't want to get to the training, but one more thing as well. I've noticed, yeah. you know, as, as time and time again as well is that bar and, and, and the fire service couldn't be better labeled than the front door test. The minimum standards test is called minimum standards that they've labeled it for you. This is the bad as shit as you're allowed to be. You have to keep growing from there. So when I go to, like you said, these, these annual trainings of some of these, you know, lesser departments and you go there, all right, we're going to go in the burn building. You're going to catch a standpipe here. You're going to go advance as a pallet on fire. You're going to go in and put it out. You know, or, and then, oh, you're going to pull out a mannequin that weighs 75 pounds, like no human ever. So, you know, I think that I, I want to kind of explore um, your philosophy, especially on, 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 you know, the master's kind of aging athlete, but how we seem to have lost that growing in throughout our career, getting better, getting stronger, getting fitter, getting, you know, uh, you know, amounting or amassing our knowledge. And instead, almost like, allowing this pressure of you know like the story you told with the chief of oh well I don't want to shame anyone to the point where even our annual training is less than the fucking minimum standards orientation you know the the classes that we did to become a firefighter <laughs> uh where do you want me to start on that one wherever you'd like <laughs> um all right so i think the tough thing about a test is that you have to make it incident based because again, you know, you're going to have, you're going to have your young firefighters and you're going to have your old firefighters all going in. So you can't say you have to be an Olympic weightlifter to be able to handle this event. Um, that is the tough part, I think, for, um, you know, when departments are trying to come up with some sort of a standard. I do feel like when I've worked, I've done some work with departments where I've, I've designed their fitness programs for them and how they, how they can do all the recording so that they make, they can make sure that they have all that stuff set up. Um, you know, as far as like on, uh, their data. So in case anyone was to ever come and look at their fitness level, they can show what they do and how they do and how they test and everything. Um, but the way that I worked it with them was, Let's have all of your people right now, all of your people on the floor right now perform this test, whatever the test, whatever the physical fitness test is going to be, uh, whatever the battery is. What we need to do is we need to take the, we need to put those, those numbers on a bell curve. And no, that doesn't mean that we're going to be cutting everyone that's, you know, on the, on the failing end of it right away. The idea is to see, okay, where, where are we as a department using everyone's ages? So like, if you look at that and you have the mass of your department is in the, the passing range, you have some that are just blowing doors and those are going to be the, the guys and girls that always blow doors on any, anything physical that comes your way. Um, on the other side, the people that aren't passing are the people in the department that everyone knows that anything that's physical that ever comes up, they are not going to pass. But why are they not passing? What's their age group compared to everyone else? Can we shift this number a little bit to where if we do the test, okay, maybe it's a little bit, maybe it's less than what we may, like someone like I would have wanted, 
but does it cover everyone there right now for the most part? And then can we build it to where it's going to be this certain number? So like, like you were talking about the transition into that. Um, I think that that's, that's important. And the transition, it takes, it takes more than like one year to do. And the reason I say that is because you you are going to have a lot of firefighters that have been on the job for a long time and they're beat up. Um, and they haven't been, rehabbing, they haven't been recovering correctly, mostly because they don't know how. So you have to have, you have to teach them how to recover, um, the appropriate ways to recover, what kind of, what kind of working out should they be doing now to keep them so that they are able to keep whatever level of fitness that they do have and they aren't getting hurt. Um, like the, the worst thing ever that I hear is when people don't want to train because they don't want to get hurt when they're training. And it's like, okay, do you under that to me, like, I get that in a bizarro world sort of understanding. Like you don't want to get hurt on training. You'd rather it's, I guess, more honorable getting hurt, you know, for reals and on on like on the real incident. But you probably got hurt because of you didn't do the training, you know, at the house at the station house or whatever when you had the opportunity and you didn't ensure that you were ready to go. Um, I think those are. It's not just here's the test, pass it. You have to make sure that you have the people that are ready to go, ready to go. I also think that like there's a lot of, um, I mean, I don't know if uh, if you ever worked with like workman's comp and and that sort of thing when it comes to rehabbing, you know, firefighters to get them back on the floor. I mean, it's a nightmare. Do they really get to where they are back at the level that they should be? Not that I've ever really seen. I mean they can do some menial tasks at home and so they're ready to go and plus they just get bored so they want to come back to work or they want to be able to work overtime so they can get more money. But it's like if they're not ready to be back because they can't pass the test, then they shouldn't be coming back. And honestly, I think, I mean, if it was me, I mean, I wish if it was me, if it was in my perfect world, (laughs) anytime anyone was hurt and they came back, they have to pass the test before they come back. And that's protecting okay. them, though. That's the thing. People, it's, this isn't totally. like, you know, holding, making firefighters a scapegoat. This is for longevity. This is so that you can retire with a functional body and What's be the an point awesome of retiring? What's the point of having this great job where you can retire relatively young, depending on how, how old you start, and you're broken the whole time? And it's not, you're not broken because of, you're broken because of incidents that you've gone to because you are out of position, you're out, you don't have the strength, you've pushed your body harder than what it's used to doing. That's why. The object is to overtrain so that when whatever life throw whatever life throws at you, you are you're in that realm. You're able to handle that. That's the whole purpose of training. Um, it's not so that you don't die of a heart attack because you want to be healthy. Like that should never that that statement I feel should never even be that should never even come out of a firefighter or an officer's mouth because that is the wrong reason for you to be doing any sort of physical fitness training. You don't have the, you don't have the luxury of saying you, you train so that you're just healthy and you want your cholesterol to be a certain number or whatever. That's not why you're training. You're training so you can do your job. Exactly. And you were saying with the, the bodybuilding, you know, that's what I found yeah. with, you know, being, getting CrossFit, um, I haven't even touched on your CrossFit journey yet. Um, yeah. but getting into it around the same time you did was I was never really that worried about how I looked anyway. You know, I was always an athlete, but 
the the byproduct of high intensity you know training is you do generally get fitter looking and it's the same oh, yeah. way it should be looked with the health you know if you're eating well and you're exercising well yeah i mean you're far more resilient human so whether it's heart disease or cancer or um you know strokes or all these things that are ailing our men and women that is yeah. a byproduct but like you said that's not the focus your focus should right. be in the best best tactical athlete and you will there's an absolute you know linear relationship between that and your overall health absolutely 100% i mean and that's what i think that's what i i mean when i got into crossfit if you want to transit transition into the fire and the whole crossfit thing that's what got me into it like I saw it, I had a buddy that told me about it because he was actually in the original CrossFit gym in Glassman CrossFit gym up in uh, up in Santa Cruz. He's like, hey, there's this website. They have these free workouts, and this was like 2002, so like right when it came out, um, you should check it out. There's some cool workouts on there. I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. Um, so I mean, I did it. I kind of messed around with it, but I didn't really understand it. I didn't I didn't get the reason behind it. Um, I still had to do my back and buys and chest and tries and blah 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 because that's how you look good. Um, as I got older and I was realizing that I was stronger than everyone, you know, in my department, I was faster than everyone in my department. I wasn't really sure why I was working out so hard anymore. Like I didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't, I didn't really have a goal. I wasn't training for anything. I knew I was training for my job, but it was really hard to understand why I was making my body hurt. And I, you know, when you do those, you know, the classic pyramid style workouts and you're, um, it's maximal loading type of stuff all the time. Uh, your joints start to hurt. Shoulders start to hurt. Elbows start to hurt. Knees start to hurt. All that kind of stuff. So I started just kind of looking at different things to do. And that's when I kind of got back to the CrossFit thing and, and read the article, you know, the what is what is fitness. And when you read that, if you haven't read that, you know, whatever you think about Glassman right now, take don't just just remove that part of it and look at what the document is and the document is a very elegant way it's 11 pages it's not it's easy reading um of explaining what true fitness is and it was the first time ever that fitness had had been defined like truly defined and what's important about that is now you have a way to guide yourself and train yourself to get to that goal before that it was oh well i lose some weight and i'm fit and that doesn't really mean anything it's just like I'm, it's like it's like saying i'm happy well what does that mean exactly you have to you have to define exactly what happiness means before you can try to achieve happiness you can't just say well i'm happy does that does that mean you have a million dollars that just means you get to sit and watch the sunset like there's so many different things it, it, it was too vague um I really fell in love in what, with what that article was, and basically it said to me, when you boil it all down to, it was uh, this training, this type of training using constantly varied functional movements done at high intensity will yield that you will be basically decent at everything. And in my world, being a firefighter, I needed to be good at everything. I needed to be able to hike with the pack on my back all day long. I needed to be able to put a hole in a wall if I needed to. I needed to be able to pick someone up off the ground or lift something heavy off of someone off, you know, from the ground. I needed to be able to put things up high. I needed to be able to climb ropes. I needed to be able to pull things. So to me, all of a sudden, it was like, oh, light bulb went off. And I'm like, this is, this is what I need to be doing right now. This is exactly it. 
So I started doing it. I started getting my guys doing it. Um, we had the reputation that if you came to my station to do overtime shift or whatever, then you would be also doing that. So there were some people that were really fired. The younger guys were usually fired up about that, about coming because they got to really, you know, do some. That's what they were kind of know. You, you, you either trained really hard. Well, you trained really hard physical and skill wise. And then you drank a lot of coffee because that's what I always did. So everyone, that's what, that's what we did. Um, but we found, and I had firefighters that, you know, all different levels of, of physical ability, um, you know, some were ex-athletes, some weren't, that were all noticing that when they're picking up patients or when they are having to dig ditches or when they're hiking hills or whenever it is that they're doing whatever it is that they're doing, it was a lot easier. And they're like, oh man, that I that would have hurt, that would have been way harder before, but I can totally see how us doing these workouts, it's helping me. And that wasn't me telling them that. That was them seeing that, just like the data that they, their own personal data that they were getting. And so that's where I started, you know, seeing like, oh, this really does help. Um, and I see a bunch of firefighters out there that are just lops of shit and don't deserve to be on the engine. So I want to somehow have a way to help train them back to whatever it is that they need to be to get to or or it's someone that they want to get a job and be able to pass all the physical stuff. So that's when I started, um, I got my, my certification, my level one and my level two, um, and my, my first affiliation CrossFit Inferno, it was not even a gym, like an official gym. It was a website. I mean, it was kind of like a CrossFit website. It was a website where I did personal training for, for firefighters and I would set up workouts for them and I would help them with certain movements and I would showcase how, you know, doing these certain movements would help for raising a ladder or this would be, you know, if you're doing deadlifts, this is how you're going to be picking up patients. So this is how you're going to be, you know, uh, lifting the gurney from the ground to this level, whatever. And, um, my engineer and my firefighter, um, at the time they were, you know, guys that I was doing this with all the time and everything. And, uh, my girlfriend at the time was like, you know, you, you do this all the time. Well, you should totally open up a gym. It'd be kind of cool just to see what it was. And so me and my, my engineer and firefighter started talking about that and said, Hey, let's, let's just open up a gym and see what happens. So that became kind of the side gig, um, uh, was uh, CrossFit Inferno actually open, um, 2008. And, uh, we've been running ever since then. And, you know, with the, with the uprise of CrossFit and, 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 or the, the increase in popularity in CrossFit, you know, over the, the couple of years past that things got super busy and, you know, I, I, I was doing it for a while and still competing and, um, got me to where I could do commentary stuff as well. And so all of a sudden like the CrossFit side in my world really blew up and we were really, really busy. And, um, I, I came to a point where it was like, okay, I can only do so much with cross with my gym if I'm only doing it from seven o'clock at night when I'm at the station and only coaching classes when I'm off kind of a thing. Um, you know, and I don't want anyone else around to come up, or, you know, close to us and, and become the CrossFit gym when we should be the CrossFit gym. And so kind of looked at that. I, I didn't want it to be affecting my job because I have too much respect for what, you know, my fire job, my fire career and everything. I had too much respect for what that was. I didn't want to be one of those captains that just kind of rode that seat and knew that I, I could just ride it out for the next 10 years and not have to lift a finger or really do anything that just, I, I despise seeing that. So 
I decided that I wanted to retire out early and uh, kind of continue that. And what's cool is since I have retired and I have worked with a lot of young firefighters through that time, um, it's, see, it's, it's really cool seeing a lot of them have, have promoted up to either captains or uh, chief levels or whatever, and they they see the importance of physical fitness. And we have stations that have rowers and bumpers and and uh, you know rings and, and medicine balls and, and stuff like that so that they can do those style of events, those style of workouts, because it's going to be that, that's way more functional. And that's what I loved about it, you know, coming into it. And I'm just really happy to see that, you know, it's, it's still kind of floating around, even though I don't have my fingerprint on it necessarily, at least you can't see it anymore. Cause it's been kind of, it's been kind of rubbed away by everybody else. But, um, I'm glad that there are people that are, are taking it serious. It, it, it very, it, it absolutely needs to be more. It needs to be from the from the top down, rather than you know the culture of the station. But you know when you're in, when you're the officer at a particular house, all you can really contend with is the the crew that you work with. So as long as you know the the officers are able to make more and more and more of their crews doing that, then I mean I'll I'll take what I can get out of that. I guess so. Yeah, well, I mean, I had my own experience was was I wasn't exposed to it in '02 like you were, but it, around '06 '07, um, yeah. one of my firefighters was training at I think it was CrossFit Marina they were called in Huntington Beach. Oh yeah, and yeah. Uh, he started getting in good shape, and 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 one day he goes, "Hey, you want to work out with me?" And I'm like, "Yeah, sure." And I've been, like I said, I've been an athlete, a martial artist for a lot of my life, um, so it wasn't like I was deconditioned and worked very hard right. to, to stay as you know, fit as a fireman. And he, we did Helen, and it kicked the <laughs> shit out of me. And I was like, what have you done? What is this voodoo? Um, and I was absolutely sold. And, and then it, it was funny because I, I left California, went back to Florida, and was, was doing it in our local YMCA like off the website, off the main site. And yeah, it, it, I tell the story quite a bit. Like the, when I first started doing it, literally people would like, outwardly snigger and sneer totally. as i was doing the hell handstand are you push-ups. doing over there yeah oh my god and then totally. some people were like oh are you kicking your own ass over there like yes sir i am but then a few years later with the games you know you were in the games um now all of a sudden these same people are like hey bro can you show me how to do a muscle up <laughs> <So> <laughs> it was funny seeing the evolution but what i really really loved i mean for people listening you know that's kind of like this the the people that understand crossfit and there's the ones that kind of laugh at crossfit but it worked so well for crew cohesion and there's no better kind of phrase than build it they will come like the one i moved to from california it started with me in the bay on my own kicking my own ass for for quite a few weeks and then slowly one by one the crew started joining me and then by the end i had like a rope i put up in the tree and everyone even my chain smoking mountain dew guzzling lieutenant got into it now he would light a cigarette at the moment he was done with the rower but regardless it everyone would train together and it, and and it was such a great adjunct to the the fireground training when you sweat and go through that and then you scale the weights depending on everyone's ability and you scale the movements but when you're all finished that camaraderie that a, a crossfit or similar style workout has i think is so valuable for a crew in the fire service oh it's huge it's huge and you know i had a lot of uh you know, partners that I would work with and stuff, and they're like, I'm not, I'm not doing, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that with those guys. And I'm like, why not? Well, because they're all going to beat me, and then they're not going to have the respect for me because, you know, I'm the captain, and they're all going to beat me. And I'm like, look, man, I'm telling you right now, 
the fact that you would be out there with them, they would give you mad props for being out there. Like that is how it works. Like that's how it works. And it's the same, it's like you said, it's the same exact thing that you do that happens when you're on the fire ground. If you know that your officer that's way older than you is going to put in all this hard work like you are, then you don't care what he's going to tell you to do. Because you'd be like, you know what? Because I know that that guy's going to be right there with us. And like when your crew is all working, it, everyone's working. It's not like, well, so-and-so is doing really well and so-and-so is doing really shitty and this person's doing okay and that person's not doing that, – that's, that's never the comment. The comment is everyone's working. And that, that cohesion, like you cannot beat it. You can't beat it. It's not the same as riding bikes. It's not the same as like – I mean, having your whatever number of crew person crew you have, like, you know, doing bench press, it's not the same when you, when you sweat together like that, there is something very special that happens. And that's, that was, that was what I enjoyed most about it originally, um, was it made me feel like it was wrestling practice again. And, you know, some of my best friends that I've ever had ever are from, you know, my wrestling days. So, and, and it's because of that. It's because of, and, and what's great about that is it doesn't matter who you are, just like you were talking about the smoking, you know, uh, whiskey guzzling lieutenant, all that stuff goes out the window. It doesn't matter. Like you guys are all on a team and everyone is respected as the person that they are, regardless of all these other things that happen. And that was, I mean, that's what I've always loved about that. Even if I look at my gym now, I look at the people that I have in the gym I got competitors. I got people that are brand new. I have old. I have young. I have uh, people that are trying to lift as much weight as they possibly can every single day. I have other people that are terrified about wanting to get bulky. I have everyone in there that under no other circumstance workout-wise would any of these people even remotely talk to each other. And these people are all one big tight group. And that's, that's the coolest thing ever. And on the fire scene, you need to have team cohesion you have to have that crew camaraderie because guess what when it all comes down to a big incident that's exactly what you need and yes yeah, skills are important but if you don't know if you can't trust that someone is going to be backing you up then you can't go into that incident fully comfortable you're always going to be watching your back and that's that's not what you want it to be you want it to be the other way around when you know that they're watching your back Absolutely. I think the the mental dark place that we were talking about with wrestling earlier as well, you can do, you know, like, like we mentioned, we can go do some size ups of some buildings and pull some hose, but you're not going to go to a, a dark place. But yeah. what I found with the CrossFit workouts, you know, and, you know, sled workouts, whatever it is, those, the things where you set up a crucible in an exercise space, you can do some self discovery and you don't want to be crushing yourself, you know, like, to, to exhaustion in the station and have to run a call and you don't want to do it every every day anyway you need to have your rest and recovery days but every right. so often it's good to do one of those workouts whether it's at the station or maybe you know off duty where you do some soul searching you're like you know yeah. did i quit too soon like last night I, I did a workout yesterday and 30 seconds before the time hit i dropped and i'm like you know what that was a bitch moment. I mean, and I, and I, it was. I know I could have done more, and I didn't. So, you know, that's a learning experience that's 24 hours old. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it happens. Uh, there, there are, you're talking about, like, you know, not wanting to be exhausted going to a call. I, I've had that argument with a lot of people, and there was, there was really only one firefighter that I truly remember 
Um, his name was Kevin Pryor, and this, this kid was he was a stud. He, what was great about him is he was very uh, um, disciplined when it came to working out off off duty. And he would work out on duty, but he would he would only work out probably at about 70 percent when he was on duty because and I and I, and I asked him about that. He's like, in my mind, the way I see it is when I'm working at the station, it's game day, and I like if I was gonna go if I was in a football game or you know if I had some big game I was really in, I wouldn't go and do a massive workout right before the game, hoping that I could perform well in the game. And I go, okay. Okay, and I and I said, don't, I go. The only reason I'm not going to argue with that, on you know, to you, is because I know that you do work out hard on the other days. Like he would go every day on his off days because he didn't know if he would have the opportunity to work out when he was on shift, and that's great. The problem is that not many people are that way. So it, it sometimes ends up being you know with families and whatever other people things that people have going on that the only time that they can work out is at the gym or as it, when, when they're at the station. So there's got to be a way to, you know, push. And I don't, I don't ever want to tell someone to, well, just go easy on this one because you never know what might happen because you never know that maybe you don't get a call that day or maybe you don't get a call until four hours later. So now what you did is you lost the opportunity to do whatever. Now, you know, if you're at the busiest house in your, in your department, okay, maybe that's not the time to do it. But, generally speaking there aren't that many stations that are running you know 15 to 20 calls a day where they're going to be slammed all the way through and the fact of the matter is is that as you get in better shape you're going to be able to recover quicker so you can do a workout and push really hard maybe not to where you're blacking out but you can push really really hard and you can get after it um and then be able to recover you know 15 20 minutes later and be able to do you know the generally speaking the tempo at what most calls that most incidents incidents that you're going to be on are not full speed. You're not going to be going balls to the wall to pick up little, you know, 62 year old, 62 pound year old Betty off the ground because she fell in the bathroom. You know, they, you're going to be okay. You might sweat on her a little bit. I was going to say, I've done that. <laughs> I'm sorry, Betty. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> Um, you know, but to say, what if the big one happens? Okay. Well, what if the big one happens? Then you just suck it up and you go. And that's going to be the one, that's going to be the one tough time that that happens. But the rare, the, the, the opportunity of that happening every single time, I think, I think the, the risk is worth it to make sure that your people are working out when they're, when they're on shift for the most part. I mean, again, you, you know, gotta be smart about it. Don't be an idiot, but you know, workouts could also be tailored so that the intensity isn't super high based on how heavy something is. So maybe you're lifting more weight. Um, you know, maybe you're doing grace at 185 instead of grace at 135 because 185 is going to take you a lot longer to do it because you can't fly through it. Well, you're going to be able to go on a call and need need the gas if you went if you did the 185 grace because you weren't going you weren't going like a fran pace so you know if you do something like you know 135 and you're trying to hold on to the bar for 30 straight without breaking and then you get a call right during that at at rep 26 okay yeah you're going to be a little tired so you know to go to your stuff but you know again train for it if you're trained for it you'll be okay if you're not trained for it you're not going to be okay but then if you're not training, you're not going to be okay for your job either. 
Yeah. So yeah, the one thing I just asked me, I mean, I, I agree 100. percent Like, if you're gonna do Murph in gear in the middle of the Florida sun, <laughs> it might not be the best idea. But but there is a certain <laughs> level of intensity where you can recover. And I would get, oh, what if you get a call? I'm like, well, chances are I'm probably gonna be one of the fittest people on the fire ground, even fatigued. Yep. If I work out all the time, but if I'm deconditioned, yep. 100%. I could be watching, you know, my Jerry Springer reruns and then, you know, go straight to the call and, and still perform, you know, 50% of what all these people that were just working out in the bay, you know, can do because they've totally. actually conditioned themselves. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Right. Well, I want to transition because I know we're way past an hour and a half. But, um, so from the, um, programming side, so we talked a lot yeah. about, you know, the ownership of the individual. So tell me from your perspective, the kind of philosophies and principles behind, um, the programming for longevity in the fire service for the men and the women. Um, I think that it's important not to be afraid of weight. Uh, I think that weight, you know, resistance training is important. I think that um, mobility is extremely, mobility and stability are extremely important. And the way that those two work together uh, are kind of unique. I mean, I think that uh, especially if you are a firefighter or you're law, you know, you're in the law, law enforcement um, you should be spending some time on shoulder mobility, knee mobility, neck, uh, back mobility. Um, whether that is, you know, rolling out, whether that is using a compression band and doing some squats through, through some compression, whether that is, uh, using like crossover symmetry, uh, any, anything like that to, to keep the joints moving at, uh, at full range of motion. Because when you are at full range of motion, you're going to have um, better mobility and you also can strengthen that all the way through that range of motion. And then the other thing is, is if you have a shortened range of motion, once you get past that range of motion, that's usually like when the body just kind of like drops out. So like if you don't have – that's why a lot of people when they do squats, like heavy squats, they want to stop right at the line. And if they were to go past that, boom, they're going to fail it. Like they're gonna, it's gonna drop them to the ground because they never train past that. So instead of going real heavy, you know, just to just to on the line, why don't you go a little bit lighter and go all the way to the bottom so you can train that entire range of motion? Um, but I think that uh, especially as you get older, you need to be very aware of what your body's doing. Um, tend to whatever in illness uh, injuries that you might have, old injuries that, that come creeping up. Don't just go, oh, that's that old ache and knee. It always bug. It always bugs me. Find out what's up with it, and then get it get it taken care of um, as soon as you can. Because the longer you, the longer you work on uh, movements, and you don't have the correct uh, the correct movements because of injury, or whatever. A lot of compensation is going to happen, and when you have compensa compensation, compensatory type movements, you start wearing out the bushings in the wrong places, and you don't know it until it's too late. Uh, when I had my knee, I had a ACL reconstruction um, from one of the regionals when I blew, blew my knee out on one of the events there, and I came back great. I mean, everyone was all impressed with how how I was coming back and everything, and. Uh, my coach that was programming for me at the time, uh, Mike Tremello, he had me send him a couple of videos and I just took a couple of videos from the back. I was doing some back squats. It wasn't even real heavy, like 185, 225 stuff, whatever. And 
I didn't notice it, but I was totally shifting to the left, to the one side, every single time. And that was because I was compensating around uh, the, my knee surgery. And I didn't even feel it. So I had to re-step back and, and you know, intend to that. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people need to do. If they have a shoulder injury, I'm hearing a lot of guys going out on bicep tendon uh, issues, um, knee injuries, back injuries. You have to take care of those things, and that should be a daily thing. Uh, you, don't, you don't tend to those only on the days you work out. That has to be part of your daily routine because it's an injury. You want it to be rehabbed, and that's always going to be the weak link. Um, and you want to be able to, uh, you know, handle that as, as, as well as you can so that then you can layer on top of that, your, you know, con- your strength and conditioning program, whatever that's going to be, whether it's a CrossFit type thing or, or something else. Um, but I do think that lifting is going to be important. I, I, I think that depending on the type of fire job that you have, you know, I, I Cal fire is a historically a wildland type department, even though now they've done contracts with a lot of very large municipalities to where we have our own truck companies and we have um, all that kind of stuff too. But a lot of the older chiefs think that all we should be doing is packing up and hiking. And that's not all we should be doing because we already know um, that it's important to have it so that your feet are used to that. That's cool. But otherwise, all I'm going to be doing is wearing my knees out, wearing my back out, and I can get the same uh, endurance type effects by a ramped up intensity workout using my legs and my back, doing some cleans, doing some lunges, doing some squats, doing burpees, doing whatever in a shorter amount of time and getting the same benefit. So I think that that's important too. Um, understand whatever time frame it is that you have available to you. Some departments are uh, way more lax on the time frame that they have uh, to get their workouts done. Some are very, very strict on you have one hour to get dressed, worked out, and showered and back in uniform. And so whatever that might be, you have to kind of make sure that that works. And if that's the case, then make sure that you are doing some high-intensity functional movements moving weights around, cleaning things up off the ground, picking things up, pulling things up, pushing things up um, so that you're able to do that. And, and that goes for a longevity uh, type um, of firefighter, you know, someone that's been around for a while, if, if they want to continue to do that, um, as well as someone that's a, you know, a young buck that's in there and, you know, they need to be doing the same thing. They, they have to train for the job and, even though, you know, us older athletes and the older firefighters and stuff, we're still training for the job. You just have to be very, very smart. And the recovery part's going to be a big deal to that. So nutrition is going to become a huge, a huge ordeal, not an ordeal, a huge deal. Um, I know firehouse eating isn't always the greatest. And that's something that they can change because as a, as an older person, you know, our liver doesn't function, doesn't, uh, filter out all the toxins as it did when we when we were younger. I mean, when I was a kid, when I was in college, I was shredded. It was awesome, and I could eat McDonald's three times a day, and I could eat five cheeseburgers, and I could have a extra large Coke, and I could have two things of fries every single time for like three weeks straight, and I was still shredded. It didn't it didn't matter. My body could could really cycle that that stuff out. Um, if I was to do that now, 
you. I would just uh, you is all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> you know, so I think that that's really that's really important. It, when you are when you are looking for longevity, it's not just what's your workout. It's are you doing mobility? Are you taking care of the pieces that are hurt? Are you still using resistance training so that you can keep your tendons tight? You can keep those muscle fibers tight. Are you eating correctly so that you're getting the right nutrients so that you have the right fuel to build all these cells that you need as you are recovering and as you are working and whatever? And you have to treat yourself as an athlete. I mean, Tom Brady is an older athlete now, and he doesn't not do he doesn't not work out because he's older. He's still a professional football player. He has to take care of himself for that job and, and train himself um, to that job. And we have to do the exact same thing. Absolutely. Now, one area I talk about a lot is sleep deprivation. And obviously, there's, I mean, oh, just geez. globally, it destroys the body. I think it's behind a lot of the mental health issues we see in our department. I think it's behind the heart disease and the cancer. But yeah. the other thing is, it's abs- I mean, I've had, you know, Stuart McGill, he's like top uh, movement specialists on, and they all say, no, if you're not sleeping, you are going to get hurt. It's as simple as that. So if you're in totally. a profession like ours, it's not if, it's when, unless we're intelligent enough to finally address the work week and and you know put more rest time between each shift but um when you retired what was your personal experience of your overall health and even your performance in the gym when you were able to actually sleep every night um i'll say this i'll say of all of the pieces in the fitness realm whether it's um, you know, workout, strength, mobility, nutrition, sleep, all that kind of stuff. I, I, could, I was very good at all of it except for the sleep. Um, I just, for whatever reason, have always been a night owl and an early riser, so that always makes it really tough. Um, I've had countless number of years where I've said, okay, my New Year's resolution is I'm going to sleep seven hours every single night or eight hours every single night. And that never really seemed to work out. Um, I, what I find is that when I get sleep deprived, I just get sloppy with everything that I'm doing. Um, not outwardly like where I'm walking around like I'm half drunk or something like that, but you're not, you know, your attention to detail isn't there because it can't be there. You're just not focused. You can't be focused the way you need to be focused. Um, shortcuts are a little longer than they need to be now because you're just trying, you know where you need to get to. And so you'll skip, you know, from step, instead of going one, two, three, four, five, you'll go from like one to four, five, hoping that that's going to work out. You usually end up tripping over three or something like that. Um, I... As far as like noticing a difference, I wouldn't say that I necessarily noticed a difference. Mostly because I went from shift work to then I was all in with the gym. I, I at, at the time I had uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter. Now, um, you know, she was a kid, so I needed to make sure that my my only job was the gym. So I was all in on that, and it was basically just me doing everything. I, I mean, I had you know we had trainers and stuff like that, but kind of, you know, in the earlier days, it wasn't that like gyms, you know, CrossFit gyms were very corporate. So it was very down home and I'm doing the websites and I'm doing the programming and I'm doing the coaching and I'm doing the cleaning and I'm doing the, you know, all the pieces and I'm trying to grow that. Plus I'm trying to be a good dad. Plus I'm trying to do commentary. Plus I'm trying to train. So it got very, 
uh, it was like just as hectic. And that was one of the jokes was, oh, so you're getting a lot of rest now that you're retired? I'm like, man, I'm working more now than I was before, (laughs) you know, and that's really what it felt like. But I do realize the uh, importance of sleep. I tell you what, like I always go back and forth. I, I, I see some people saying that you, you know, you've got to be over eight to 10 hours is going to be the greatest. And I'm like, how the hell am I supposed to fit eight to 10 hours? I, I can't even imagine 10 hours of sleep. I think, it, and if I, on the times when I have gotten 10 hours of sleep, usually it was because I was sick. And if I wasn't sick, then I would wake up after 10 hours and I would be so groggy for like the next three days, <laughs> it seemed like. So I don't really know. I mean, I know it's important I, and I, I am all on board for the importance of it. I just know that that's the one area that I have always been bad at trying to ensure that I get that sleep. I just haven't been able to, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'll even say that it's a lack of discipline of being able to stop doing whatever it is that I'm doing to go to bed at a particular time. I'm always the, uh, just a little bit longer, just a little bit longer. Let me just finish this a little bit longer, a little bit longer. And then all of a sudden it's like 1230. I'm like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> here, we, here we are. Here we are again. Another six hours tonight. Yeah. So, well, I know. I mean, yeah. a lot of the people I had on, it seems like seven and a half, eight is a golden number. I think seven and a half makes a lot of sense because the sleep cycle is 90. So seven yeah. and a half, you can divide by that. So right. I think if you're deprived, if you're, um, if you have a sleep debt, which is very real, then you're going to be a, do more. But I think it's hard for us that had fitful sleep for, you know, decades to suddenly go, yeah. Oh, I'm just going to stay in bed. I can't. Like if I totally. get seven and a half, eight, that's beautiful. But then what I have found is I'm much more productive if I have slept. So if I stay up an hour or two to try and work like late at night, I get a, a lot less done than if I go to bed then and then do that same work the following morning and I get it done in half the time. Yeah, you know what? I would totally agree with you on that one. I, that I've had that happen. It's the, it's the late night justification of, oh, let me just finish this real quick and then I'll, I'll go to bed after that. That's the part that I always struggle with because you're right. If I, if I just went to bed, I could get to it being much more fresh and I would, I'd hammer it out. No problem. Um, I'm just, uh, I don't know if it's the workhorse in me or what. Like I just, I'm, I'm right there. I'm almost done. Let me just finish it. You know, but I don't know. I, but I agree with you. I agree with you on that. <laughs> All right. I got one more thing to touch on. Then we'll go to some closing questions, but we did talk yeah. about this at the beginning and I do, you know, with, with you being very embedded in the CrossFit space, um, yeah. I have seen, you know, the, the things that have unfolded the last few weeks with CrossFit. Um, I had a, a good conversation with a friend of mine, TJ, who, um, you know, was, was one of the OOGs, is also in law enforcement, and he gave me some really interesting perspective, which is very down to earth. But so I've seen, you know, I, I still not well educated on, on what was said. I know there was a big knee jerk to, you know, what Greg Glassman said. There's, there's a, you know, a kind of abandoned ship. But for me personally, as a as a CrossFit you know athlete for whatever it's been now, almost fifteen years, I have seen all the good that came out of Greg's you know um, genius at the beginning, and all these men and women of all colors and creeds, and 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 just the overall health of many of the developed countries improved from CrossFit. And so, what was terrifying me. Is that that was going to get turned over, you know, like a, like a table in a Western. Um, and all that good lost, lost in the kind of knee jerk of, of, you know, a bad tweet or, you know, whatever's behind, happening behind the scenes. So I would just love to get your perspective from, you know, from, I'm not coming from any direction. Um, yeah. what your take is on, 
on you know the world of CrossFit and all the good it's done versus you know what's ever you know manifested the last couple of weeks? Um, I think that I'll tell you what it was very emotionally difficult because I when I believe in something I'm loyal and it's very hard to pull against something that you're very loyal to even if there are some pieces of it that that are looking kind of bad uh, I've known Greg a long time um, I wouldn't say that we are like close friends or anything like that but I mean you know, if he sees me, he knows exactly who I am. And, you know, we, we've talked a bunch of times and I, 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 in my experience with him, I've never seen anything other than, um, his genius, um, with the, you know, with, with movement and programming and all that kind of stuff. Uh, with the tweet that came out, that was obviously a, you probably couldn't have gotten a more incorrectly timed comment if you're trying to be politically snarky, um, just to be snarky. And, and I mean, one thing that I will say, it, you know, I, th- I think that now, you know, there's some people that are still saying that, that the comment was racist. Um, I think after uh, Andy Stump had his his podcast on cleared hot where he talked about that and you know, he's worked with Greg. He was Greg's pilot and stuff and he's been around a long time as well said that it wasn't really a racist comment. It was more of a political comment, but it just kind of have happened to, to fall at a, at a very, uh, uh, sensitive, a racially sensitive time with, you know, the George Floyd thing that, that happened and, and all that terribleness that went down. So that immediately caused a lot of people to do a lot of things. Um, there was a lot of jumping ship. Um, and, you know, I, I won't fault at all anybody or anyone that decided to jump ship because I think that what it comes down to is the only real thing that you can control is your action and your response to whatever the situation is. When I first saw the tweet, and everything was going racial, my first response was, okay, well, that's one person making those comments. Um, as far as I know, CrossFit is not racist. Um, I haven't I haven't seen it when I've gone up to, to CrossFit HQ. When I look in there and I see all the different, you know, diverse, the, the entire diverse group that's up there, um, you know, different different genders, different uh, sexualities, different races, different everything, uh, different ages, different political views, everything. Um, I know that the CrossFit that we do in my gym is always has always been very inclusive, uh, very respectful uh, on a humanistic level. Meaning, if you come into my gym, I don't care where you come from or how you got there. You're there, and I will give you everything of me that I have. So it's it's all based on that you know that respect that care that love, because my job and my uh, my desire is to make you better, and that's what I saw CrossFit do. CrossFit made people better. When I decided to be a to get my my certification in CrossFit and to start CrossFit, one of the one of the moments that I was like this needs to be for everyone is when I saw a regular gym personal trainer 
training this this lady that was overweight and having her do bicep curls and telling her to turn the bicep up at the top so she can get the maximum peak of the bicep with the maximum construct you know contraction and i'm like this lady needs to know how to sit down on the toilet and get back up that's what crossfit was to me yes it this there were a lot of badasses that were doing it and it was all that kind of stuff but that was never it was never said that crossfit is only for the badass there were badasses that did it but all the movements were talking about functionality and about I want to be able to be good at everything. I want to be able to be functional for longer. Like those were the things that I loved. And I there was never any exclusion out of that. Now, granted, now, um, or the the later half of the CrossFit years, I've been on the last five years, eight years, whatever, uh, to get into a CrossFit gym, it's it's more expensive than going to a, a regular gym. Sure. Because you're supposed to be getting coaching. Like the reason you pay is not because it's CrossFit. You pay because of the small group personal training that you're getting that would be way more expensive if, if it was just a single person personal training, but you're getting it for this whole group. And and the only barrier to entry is that, is that cost. So is it racial because, you know, maybe uh, some people have more privilege and they have more money so they can get into it? Maybe. But I've seen, I mean, I've been around the world and seen all kinds of CrossFit gyms all over. And, you know, there's a lot of places that I wish I could go, but I don't have enough money to do it. So I'm not saying that it's, you know, discriminatory against me as a, as a person or where I am or whatever lack of privilege that I have. I just don't have the money to do it. And if I want to do it because that's something that I want, I'm going to somehow make the money to do that. So I, I, I never saw it that way. I just saw it as one man's reaction. Um, one man's comments, which has now turned into the sexist stuff, which is, at least from my perspective, one man's actions and what he's done. And granted, there was you know gag orders on people and you know non-disclosure agreements and and you know people not saying that these things were happening right away and all that kind of stuff. But again, it all comes down to that was one person, but the community at large has done so much good that I couldn't back out of it yet. I had to see what HQ was going to do. So they put Dave in there. And I, I was like, okay, as far as I'm concerned, uh, Glassman is out. He apologized. They put Dave in there. Well, they had to put someone in there right away. So, okay, all right, uh, we're not done yet. At least I hope we're not, we're not done yet. Like, There's obviously things on the table that need to be fixed. So now, you know, we have uh, one of the big concerns was they had, you know, they everyone wanted wanted Greg out. Otherwise, it was going to be the same old, same old. And it's like, okay, well, now he's out. Now he, you know, he's he, well, he, at least he's selling. So he's selling. Um, the guy that they have now, um, Eric Rosa, seems amazing. Um, he's an affiliate owner. He's kind of been where we are. He's an older athlete. He's in shape. He loves what CrossFit is and got into it and brought it into his company um, when because he fell in love with what it was. So it's great to have someone that feels that way. So I I didn't make a reaction right away. I had to wait and to see what was going on. I had to wait to see what the fallout was going to be or if there were going to be changes. And I, I even had, you know, conversations with uh, with members in my gym. There were some that were really concerned and they're like, look, I don't want I can't represent something that is either racist or a sexist like this. And I'm like, I, I get it. 
I don't want to either. But let's just see if if it can fix itself. Let's just see if it's the company and the brand that is that, or is it just one person that was that, and they we can make some changes. And so I feel that they're, the changes so far are, are pretty good. Um, I mean, again, like their HQ is caught behind the ball. And I think that they are doing the best job they can. I think that, you know, with, with uh, Dave in there uh, kind of helping Eric and Eric in there running the show, I think that, that they have an opportunity of making some really great things happen. The fact that they're building that affiliate uh, board of directors or that affiliate representative kind of setup. I think that that's going to be great for everyone. Um, and I think honestly, you know, for a lot of places that were saying that they were going to, that now is the time to rebrand and, and call it something different. Like, guess what, man? Like all of us, all of us, whether you were an affiliated CrossFit gym or you weren't, or you de-affiliated before all this stuff happened, you all saw, every, we all saw ourselves as CrossFitters. That's how we, if I was in the airport, in the UK and I saw someone with nanos, I could immediately walk up to that person and be like, Oh, CrossFit. Hey, what do you do? Blah, blah, blah. Boom. And you're connected. You have that connection. If that's not there and everyone is still doing CrossFit style workouts, but they aren't CrossFitters anymore because CrossFit isn't this or that or the other thing. And it's now completely racist, completely sexist, whatever. Then what, what is everybody? They're just a bunch of worker outers. And I don't think that you would have, like that community would not be there. The community, the only communities that would, would exist would be the individual communities within their gym, which that is there and that's important. But um, I, I think that CrossFit has made a great job at the initial turn and the initial change. And now it's just a matter of, of, of really going forward with that. I think that we're going to see a lot of people coming back to CrossFit. Um, because they're going to see that like, okay, the, the wrongs or the wrong, you know, the cancer was taken out, you know, the one, the, the piece that the people, you know, had the big issue with was removed. And so now they can get back to loving what CrossFit was, which was making people's lives better and helping people, you know, um, get rid of these, you know, inflammatory type diseases and helping people live longer functional lives and helping, um, you know, people lose hundreds of pounds and helping, people with depression, you know, feel more, more confident and feel better about themselves and, 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 uh, helping women's self-esteem because their self-esteem because of the confidence they build by not what the scale says or what these mirrors look like, but the weight that I'm doing and the things that I'm doing, the performance that I'm having, like all of those great, amazing things that CrossFit did. I'm glad that the change has been made because I would really hate for those things to have gone away. And I think that would have been a terrible thing if it did. Um, it's not fixed yet. It's not done yet. Uh, but I think that, that they've made some great strides to make it the way it needs to be. So I'm really, I'm really happy with how things have been going lately. Yeah. Well, well, thank you for saying that because to me, like I said, having seen it now for 15 years, um, you know, I've got to see from where it was a website for, for most of us around, around the world yeah. to where it is now. I've watched, you know, the female firefighters become you know these phenoms through you know the, yeah. the the female athletes through you know the either crossfit itself or how it's in, in, improved the exposure for powerlifting and and strong man and or strong woman you know all these things i've watched the adaptive athlete side explode and so many men men and women i had on here that were wounded warriors yeah crossfit was where they found him I and mean, look at andy andy stump perfect example yeah um 
you know, you've got Steph Hammerman, you know, I mean, she's, she's got amazing. a, yeah, I mean, there's just always David Gore with, with, with his weight loss. I mean, there's so yeah. many positive stories. And so when it was like the Jenga pieces were coming t- tumbling down, it, it, exactly like you said, if there was an issue with that one piece, then I get it, you know, and, and uh, so much good has been done. Um, that if stepping away is what needs to be done, then so be it, you know, be proud of your legacy. But if you kind of, uh, st- made, made some, some poor decisions, then own them and, you know, have to pass off the, the reins to someone else. But okay. CrossFit as a community, I could not agree with you more. Like I travel all over the world with my, my family and everything. And it's yeah. so nice to be able to go, Hey, I'm going to go drop in this CrossFit gym. I'm going to go yeah. hang, you know, work out with a bunch of Swedes or, you know, yeah. Japanese or whatever it is. And you wouldn't get that if you, you fragmented this. So I hope that the knee jerk kind of resets. There's ownership of that, you know, those, those poorly timed tweets and whatever was behind it. But the community bands together and like, there is so much value in what was built. I mean, you know, the, the hero wads, my God, you know, the members of the military yeah. that we lost, the members of the law enforcement community that we lost. Um, th- there's so many elements that it's done so much good that we can't let this one, this little flash destroy everything that was built up to this point. Yeah. And I mean, and, you know, I, you know, like I said, I, I've known Greg, you know, a long time and I never personally had any issues with them, but if, there were statements and actions or whatever, like if he's out, then that should not be a concern anymore because that, that was, if that's what, I mean, that's where the issue was coming from. So if that's, if, you know, if he, if the sales go, if the sale goes through, then it would seem to me that like, okay, then we should be good. doesn't mean we need to go right back to how it was. I mean, right now is the perfect time to fix whatever other issues there were and to make it so that it's not the case. And I mean, and it, it did. It was a it was a small company that blew up super fast. And, you know, it was always, you know, kind of running running on hot. You know, so it was really hard to, I think, make things perfect and like organize it the way it totally needed to be organized so that it these sort of things aren't 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 there and aren't a problem. But now's the perfect time to fix those things. And if, you know, if Greg was the issue and he was the problem, then, okay, he's not there anymore. So onward and upward, man. Let's let's continue all the good that CrossFit's done. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. All right. Well, I want to transition to some closing questions. Um, firstly, let's talk about your legacy programming because we talked about, you know, hey, you need to be fit. Well, you have definitely, you know, programming that can help first responders out there reach the fitness that they need to get to. Yeah. Um, so the legacy program is a program. One of the things that I really had a hard time with being an older athlete was I'd see some of these masters programs that were out there and they would have them based on age range. And I always hated that because as I got older, I was still pretty strong compared to, you know, the, the general population that would be looking at some of these templated programs. And if I was to lower my strength numbers to use my correct age range, I would actually be getting weaker. I wouldn't be getting stronger out of that. So what I decided to do was to make a program that was designed for, um, I would use it, I, I have, I've had other uh, games level athletes use the numbers, like the weights and the rep schemes and the, that type of thing out of it. Um, but then I would give modifications and explanations of what 
you would do. So let's say let's say it was uh, let's say it was Diane. So twenty one fifteen nine deadlifts at two twenty five one fifty five and uh, handstand push ups. Well, if you can't do, I would say two fifty um, two twenty five or fifty percent of your one rep max on the deadlift. Then I would say you should be able to do that weight of the deadlift somewhere between. 20, uh, 24 to 30 times unbroken if you were fresh. That's how you would know that you were in the right ballpark using that weight because technically that weight shouldn't be broken up if you're doing Diane. So maybe you can do 225 and that's great, but if you have to break it up three times on the set of 21, then the intent of that workout isn't there anymore. So the idea is that there's a particular intent and I want to make sure that the whoever is doing it is getting that intent. So there's always going to be that formula based on uh, whatever the weights that are there. The other thing that I add into this is maybe you're really good at deadlift, but you're really bad at pull-ups uh, or maybe it's handstand push-ups. So since we're talking about Diane, so I'm not going to say level one, level two, level three, where the weights come down as the handstand push-up movement also decreases. I'm going to say, you, here's the weight. If you can do it these amount of times and this amount of reps, cool, you use that. Now, handstand push-ups. You should be able to do these in no more than one break on each of the sets if needed, minimum. Otherwise, you're doing them unbroken. So it's going to be regular handstand push-ups. It's going to be a decreased depth by whatever, four inches. It's going to be a toes on the box with your uh, butt up in the air. It's going to be knees on the box with your butt up in the air. It's going to be a incline push-up. It's going to be a push-up, a hand release push-up. It's going to be a regular push-up. So those are all these scaling options all the way down so that you can find the right scale and modification to fit. I'm not going to take more than one break on each one of these sets. That way you're getting the intent of that workout, uh, of that piece. Um, as you go on. Now the workouts will have, they have uh, a warm up setup. They have a mobility uh, segment in there. They have a strength uh, piece or a skill piece that they'll, that they'll do every single day. And then they'll have the Metcon. The Metcon will vary between, you know, either a, a, a faster sprint of something like, you know, eight minutes anywhere from there to like 30 minutes, depending on what the workout is. Um, and then since the COVID thing, we also have done a body workout, which is a non-equipment uh, type of a workout. You can choose to add that on top of it, or you can choose to do that. If you don't have any access to equipment, you can do that as well. So uh, I've taken a lot of that and making it to where, I mean, I call it a master's um, program because I think it's applicable to masters based on they don't really know where they're supposed to sit. And so this takes all of that guesswork out of it um, so that they can find the right one. But in reality, that's how everyone should be coaching everyone anyway, is you have your top end programming and then you scale and modify based on that person's abilities or inabilities so that they're getting the intent of the workout. And that's what that program is really all about. It's about planning that legacy so you can build, build on your strengths increase your weaknesses or improve your weaknesses and get yourself better as you go through this time and, you know, as you, in, uh, month after month after month. So it's been really fun to do it. I have a, you know, a fairly core group of people that are, that are, have been pretty regular on it. Uh, but we have our own little app that we use and you can, you know, leave comments and chat back and forth on with it and stuff. It's really cool. It's really cool. Brilliant. And where can people find that? 
So they can find that on my website. So billgrundler.com, um, you can find it there or you can go to Instagram and it's the underscore legacy underscore program. And if you go onto my website, I have some sort of a weird uh, website thing that's going on, but you can find a, um, a free sample week. It's not the entire week. There's ways you can, it'll, it'll show you basically what the week looks like, but there's some, some things that are kind of hidden on it just because don't want to give everything away. But, uh, the, the cost of the, uh, program is only $20 a month and you get six workouts, uh, a week. It doesn't have a program, a, a rest day programmed into that necessarily because people's schedules are always different. Um, but it's a Monday through Saturday type of a program. And, uh, they can find it just on that website. Go under Legacy Program. You can scroll to it there and uh, check it out. Excellent. Yeah, I think the, the the programming that I see from you know from you, Matt Chan, some other people that have been on here. If if you're at a station and and you feel a little lost and maybe you haven't got a good wellness team at your department, then that's a great tool because then you're not going from this station workout to you know your local gym the next day kind of just fumbling around or, or doing the exact right. same workout because that's what they program that day so i think it's very valuable for for first responders if they're looking for some some framework to their journey back to where they need to go or you know to to excel at where they're at now um to following you know a certain programming use that at the station and obviously use it on your days off as well yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, it's, it's planned, it's set up to where it should last about an hour, maybe, you know, maybe an hour and 10 minutes or something like that, depending. Um, there are some, uh, it's not super equipment heavy necessarily. I mean, there, there'll be some objects and I, I think that people can modify, you know, if, if you don't have a rower, you don't have a bike or something like that. I mean, I, I usually have a modification in there with burpees or running or something to give you the, the time frame so that that's, that's kind of all set up there. But it's, you know, as long as you have the basic gym equipment, some bumpers and some kettlebells and some, you know, wall balls, whatever, then for the most part you have it down, which is really cool. And I, I it's a perfect, I think it's a great one for a firehouse just because, you know, it's not super long, but it gets you everything you need in that in that hour's time frame. So, and and it works. I mean, it's and it's pure CrossFit. Excellent. All right. Well, the first of the closing questions: Is there a book that you love to recommend? It can be to do with what we've discussed today, or something completely different. Um, probably one of my one of my go to books is The Four Agreements. Just as far as I, I think it go it gets down to it, it boils things down to um, you know you you can only attend to what you, you can only deal with what you can deal with and you're you have a couple jobs and one is to do the, your best all the time you don't want to take anything personal because that's their deal if someone is and that's what I even like with this whole thing like the glassman thing it's like okay he did that that's I'm not even going to concern myself with that because that has nothing to do with me. That's his deal. But the CrossFit is my deal, you know, especially the CrossFit Inferno is my deal. So I will tend to whatever that is and, and be able to you know do the best with that. So I, I like I really like the simplistic but very applicable uh, rules of that. And then the other one is, you know, the like like how powerful your words can be. You know, what you say means things. Um, I, I think that actions speak louder than words a lot, but um, I think it's really important that, um, you know, what you say, that you mean what you say, you know, not like you're trying to have these little games or, you know, try to twist people around this way or that way. Like if you mean something, say it, 
you know absolutely yeah. brilliant all right i've had that mentioned uh, like once or twice before so i need to make sure i buy that book because it's a, it's an easy read too like i'm not a big reader I, i'll 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 be the first to admit it. i'm not a big reader but that was uh it was good it was really good brilliant all right what about movies any movies you love Oh man, I'm a Star Wars geek. Well, I take that back. Okay, I'm a Star Wars. I love Star Wars, like the original Star Wars, especially. Um, I actually, when I was a kid, I saw like so. I'm an old guy, so I saw it in the theaters when it first came out, 27 times. 27. Yeah, like I would go around and collect cans and bottles out in the desert and whatever, and recycle them so that I can get money to go to like the matinee shows to to watch it because I was just so like I loved it. I thought it was amazing. Um, but then the other one is like, I'm, I, I love the whole Rocky series. I'm all about that stuff. I, I'm, I'm a sucker. Like I will, it's probably like a whole Pavlov's dog thing now, but like when Rocky plays and it's the fight scenes at the end, I will always, it doesn't matter how many dudes are in the room at all. I will always start tearing up every single time. I just get so like into it every time. It's really funny. Yeah. It's an amazing movie though. As I think yeah, that's totally. that's one of the most mentioned ones. Actually, when I ask this question, really, yeah, well, it's absolutely. just so good. I mean, like, you, how can you not love an underdog story? Because it it's like it's one of those stories that like it gives everybody hope, man. It gives everybody hope. You know, you always have a shot. Yeah, well, especially the story behind it, like the, even yeah. the fact that he wrote that for himself because he was trying to break into the industry adds even more totally. layers to it. No, Stallone's bad. He's awesome. He is. He's awesome. All right. And the next question then, is there a person you recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military and associated professions of the world? Actually, yeah. Uh, so Ron Ortiz, he's a firefighter and he's a master's athlete too. Um, he, I think he would be a good guy to have on. I think another one who's not, I wouldn't say he's an athlete, but he, he has used CrossFit to lose weight, and he's a, he's actually I think he's a lieutenant. Uh, I think he's a lieutenant. His name is uh, uh, Mike Richards. He's a one of the MCs that we have at the for the CrossFit Games and all the competitions. Um, he would be really I think he'd be kind of fun to have on here because he's the he's he's the CrossFit guy that lost a lot of weight. And what's cool about that is he's in the fire service. Like, he gets that. He understands that that's important. Um, Larry Moss would be an unreal person. He's uh, uh, he's with the SWAT team in for Louisiana. He's also a, a commentator for us. And one of the first things, I met him, and he got it to where, when I first met him, he told me that, you know, he was doing CrossFit, and he was getting all of his guys to do CrossFit. And one of their tests annual test that they do for the SWAT team is they do Murph. So I think that like, you know, being able to seeing a, 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 a group like that, that has been able to integrate CrossFit into their testing, I think it's a big deal. I think he'd be huge to have on. And I, I, get, I can get you their information too. And I'll hit them up and, and see if they're cool with that, but they, they should be fine. That would be great. Thank you. Yeah. Ron yeah. was actually on and do you still close to Chuck Liddell? I think he'd be an amazing person to talk to. Yeah, totally. I mean, I hit him up every once in a while. Yeah. Brilliant. Sure. All right. Well, okay. thank you. So the very last question before we make sure everyone knows where to find you. Um, what do you do to decompress? Oh, man. If I can do it, it doesn't happen all the time. And there's been kind of waves uh, of it. But if I can do it, just going out and hitting like an evening surf for me. I don't even need to be out in the water a long time. If I can go out and get like 
45 minutes uh, and just a couple good waves. Oh man, that that's that's my decompress. Get my head straight. Brilliant. All right. So yeah. you mentioned about where we can find the program. What about yourself? Where are you on social media? Uh, so on Instagram, it's just at Bill Grundler. Um, you can find me there. Uh, you can, if you have questions, you can answer, you know, question me there and I'll, I'll, I'm usually pretty good at getting that. Uh, I have my, my website. So if, uh, BillGrundler.com, if you're looking for commentary type stuff or, uh, whether it's a legacy programming or remote individual programming or, Programming. I've I've done a lot of programming for uh, professional athletes, for for firefighters that are trying to get into the fire service to, you know, for their academy, any of that kind of stuff. I I I do a lot of remote programming that way. Um, the other thing that I'm doing right now with Chase Ingram is we have a podcast called Get With the Programming, and you can find that uh, at all the places you get whatever podcasts that you can get it wherever you get them now. Um, and on Instagram, you can see you can find it at get the all put together underscore wait get with get with underscore the programming. So it's get with is together and the programming is together, uh, and then underscore in the middle. And we're right now we're we're talking about the programming for all the CrossFit games that we've gone through. Uh, we've just we just completed 2012. We're getting ready to do 2013. We just reviewed the programming for the Rogue Invitational that that came up, and also for the uh, Mayhem Madness uh, team qualifier uh, for the the event that Rich is going to put on in um, August. So yeah, you can check me out in any of those places. Come and say hi. Excellent. Well, I just want to say thank you so much. This was supposed to be about an hour and a half. It was two and a half hours. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's been amazing. I mean, to get your perspective, not only, you know, for everyone listening, you weren't just, you know, in the CrossFit space, you know, as a competitor. I mean, you finished in the open multiple times, number one. I mean, you were at regionals, you were the game. So to get that perspective of a high, high level athlete and also a career firefighter, I think was invaluable. So thank you for being so generous with your time. Absolutely. Pleasure being here. Nice to meet you.